Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And we've got another packed show in store for you this evening. A lot to talk about, a lot of Whitecap stuff to talk about, some stuff from elsewhere around MLS, some of it which does have a, a Whitecaps connection. We'll be looking at some some kind of CPL and, and Canadian soccer chat as well. And it's a, a time for reflection, I, I think, in, in this week's show, because... The show is going to be coming out on the 7th of March, so it's going to be coming out on Sunday. We're recording it the night before on Saturday. So when it comes out, it's going to be a year to the day that the Whitecaps got their first win in MLS in the 2020 season. And after that game, everything just fell apart in the world. That's what happens when the Whitecaps win the game. Just the, the world, it's just complete chaos, especially when it's an away game in, in LA. But... I just thought we'd start off the, the show just with that, a little reflection from all of us. It's like the, the last year from that game, we did our show afterwards, we're all cock a hoop as what, what it could mean for the season, etc., etc. I just talk a little bit about, I mean, just the weirdness of the year that's followed and, and what we're hoping for, for the year to come. For me, it's like, it, it's, been, it's been sad to see football derailed the way it is. Everyone kind of talks about kind of a, like a new normal, but is it the new normal? It does look like the, the US are way ahead of Canada in terms of vaccine and stuff. So it looks like fans will be back in the stands at, at MLS matches in much bigger numbers than, than it was in, in 2020 all around the league. And you just have to kind of hope that at some point this year, the Whitecaps will get a chance to, to play some games in Vancouver at BC Place and maybe... We might even get to be at them. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy it's been a crazy year, that's for sure. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I remember a year ago not thinking like, thinking like oh there could be some disruption to the world, but obviously <laughs> never thinking it would be on the scale. No, uh, that, that it has. Been. We had a running joke that it was going to be like when everything go back to normal in 2022 was my running joke, and that kind of might be true at this case. Sadly, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know. Are you? Are you excited to go to go back to the stadium? 
I think you're planning not, on seeing not until I get my back. second dose of the vaccine. I've got to be honest, but you have your first set. You don't have your first set. Do you? Oh. What about yourself, Steve? How how do you look back at the the last year, like personally, football wise, whatever? Yeah, I don't remember well, like uh, much of a year ago. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to understand that you know how things have changed. How how things were so different before. Like uh, I I didn't drive my car like since March. I haven't driven my car. And I uninsured it at that time. I haven't driven a car. Well, I've driven my wife's car, but we basically gone to a one car family. Like it's, there's so many different things that have changed because I work at home now. Mm-hmm. So uh, you don't really go out that much anymore. There's, you, there's no restaurants and no movie theaters. And I, I used to go to theaters a lot to watch movies. I have no interest in watching theaters, <laughs> movies and theaters right now. So it's a lot of things that change. So it's just a matter of adjusting. And honestly, I, to be honest, I haven't missed sports that much. It's not like a main priority. Even when it comes on TV, I'm not very much interested in watching it. Yeah, I'm not watching as much either. It's it's weird. I don't I don't know if it has to do with the fact there's nobody in the stands. I didn't think it was going to bother me as much, uh, but it definitely has. Like I was, the, the weird thing was I was very I enjoyed watching the uh, the MLS Cup uh, is or the MLS is back tournament. Or whatever. Yeah, that was fun to watch. But then anything else after that it really it didn't. Bees me whether I watched it or not. I see. For me, I don't think it's anything to do with the fans because I, I haven't minded there not being fans there. I I don't know. I think it's just finding other interests because sport was away for so long that you yeah. kind of started to find other things to do. There's so many streaming services. We we've talked in the last couple of shows about like watching Disney Plus and all the Marvel movies and stuff like that. But it, there's just so much stuff to watch now, and a lot of sport. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And, and, and I think or... I think I think I don't know if it's for other people, but for me, maybe it's a reminder of what's going on. Because when you watch sports now, it's empty stadiums, mm. and so you, I, I just want that escape. So basically, like for example, this past week, almost all day long or most of the day, I, I stream um, streaming uh, Mash. Basically, from oh. I started last week. It was, that's on Disney Plus too now, yeah. and uh, I, I basically started from season one. I'm on season four or something right now. And so I've, I've just been watching that nonstop because it's just a different time. Although they were going through a tough time at that time too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've talked about this on our show. We've talked about it all on the East Fife show that I do as well. It's like, will fans rush back to matches when, when they can get back in the stadium? The kind of feeling in Scotland is, yeah, they will because it's just it's in, ingrained in their culture so much to go and see your local team or whatever. If anyone saw footage today from outside Ibrox, Rangers fans turned up in their thousands outside a stadium to kind of stupidly celebrate Rangers basically all but wrapping the, the league title up and breaking all the restrictions and rules there. In North America, I don't know that there's going to be that big rush to get back in the stands. I think it could be a, a tough sell for the Whitecaps. And they've also had the tough thing of they've not been in the local market anyway. Yeah. So they've not been out and about in the community doing all that kind of community work that they've maybe done in the past. But it also could be a benefit to them too, because if they like pull together some wins, show that they're competitive again, when they do come back to BC Place, maybe people get excited to go back. I have a feeling you'll see a, a much younger demographic for sure uh, when they come back. I think some uh, some people that are older, if uh, depending on vaccines and everything, mm. um, some older people might not show up as quickly as younger people will. Yeah, the, I think one good thing, Michael, is that 
they get to distance themselves from the, some of the negative things in the past, both the on-field and off-field stuff. So there's not a, yeah. like a, a closeness, a proximity to that. And so I think uh, that coupled with the fact of there will be a, sorry, I'm guessing there will be a desire from uh, at least a segment of the population just wants to get out and do something. Yes. That, that'll be helpful, helpful for them. But, um, but I mean, they, they will still struggle from the fact of, of their lack of understanding the principle of it's easier to retain people than it is to get new people. Um, so they'll still struggle with the deficit that they've created there. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting season coming up for the Whitecaps, how competitive they're going to be in the pitch. I mean, they're looking to still make some big signings. We're going to get into all that in tonight's show. I wrote an article which was basically based on our chat with Axel Schuster from a couple of shows ago where he was just talking about the the relocation initially at least to, to Salt Lake and, and playing games out of there. And I was... It's been interesting because a lot of fans down in Salt Lake are excited that the Whitecaps are going to be down there and they're like, oh, we're going to have two two teams that we can go and maybe watch matches at and they're looking at it as an opportunity to to have more football to possibly go and watch and then some of the replies on the the Whitecaps Facebook page when I, when I posted the article was so negative about oh it's all just spin why are they picking Salt Lake City why are they not picking Seattle or Vancouver Washington it's clearly laid out in the article why they've got a training facility that they're going to have the exclusive use of, that's soccer-specific, that the Utah Royals have moved out and left. That's why they're picking there. They can get accommodation to bring families down and have a close-knit community. I think it just shows a little bit of the toxicity in the Whitecaps fan base, that no matter what the club does, folk are just pouncing on it. So maybe, as you say, Zach, it's kind of good to get away from that for a little bit. Or it could be that people just read the headlines and don't actually read the article. I think there was part of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Headline reading is a big issue. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I also, the, just like the, the reading and the the, uh, the the logic of it all, I think, is a little bit beyond, beyond some people or people just don't recognize, right? It doesn't matter if they're in Seattle or they're in they're in Florida. They, they're this time, sorry, as far as I understand it and listening to your like discussion with Axel and other things, Michael, it, it doesn't matter where they are. Like the, the quarantine rules in Canada and, and I guess in Canada specifically are going to make the things they did last year, like not, uh, not possible. Like the coming yeah. home for three days, right? Well, like yeah. It, Cause not- someone had said, why don't they just play in Washington? They can drive over the border. The border's closed and you've got yeah. quarantine when you get back into the country. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, here in uh, Canada, uh, uh, football is not considered uh, essential service. Yeah, because, I mean, as Axel said, it's listen, like you don't even know that the wives will be classed to, to be essential to go down with their husbands and stuff. Yeah, The thing is, like, if you consider, if people want to consider this, look, hockey is their uh, Canada's number one sport. So if can if they can't get their teams to go back and forth from country to country, then uh, football has no chance at all. That's a great that's a great point, Steve. Yeah, very 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 true. Because you you think they'd be bending over backwards to get that to happen. If that hasn't happened, football's pretty down the the picking order in that regard. But Whitecaps training camp did get underway this week for the season. It's going to be a 
a weird training camp. We, we've spoken about that when we, we spoke to Axel as well a couple of, of weeks back. It, it's going to be a disrupted training camp. There's going to be a chunk of players, 10, maybe even up to 12 players that are going to be going away on international duty for Canada, possibly for other countries as well. And that means that they can't then come back into Canada to finish the training camp. So they're going to have to finish the training camp down in the US and the guys that go down to play for Canada will then have to rejoin it. So you're going to have a, a chunk of March where they stay in Vancouver and you've got a decimated training camp. It's it's a strange situation. They're not going to be able to play any pre-season friendlies. Definitely not in Canada. They might be able to get some lined up in April when they go down to the States. There's going to be intra-squad games. It's a tough preparation for the season and it's clearly a disadvantage to the Whitecaps and all the other two Canadian teams, to all these other MLS teams that are announcing pre-season friendlies all over the place at the moment. Definitely a disadvantage, but obviously, like like everybody knows, it's a sign of the times, and nothing really can be done about it. So they got to pull with the punches and kind of uh, get going and do the best they can, I guess. Yeah, I was listening to your interview with Axel a while ago, uh, from a, a while ago, I've been kind of trying to catch up and stuff even though I, I had actually listened to that one before before it was on the show but um yeah just the they know that they're going to be without so many players and they just need to get kind of get moving and and do the best that they can and it's just one of like a whole bunch of variables that they're trying to deal with and make the best of so yeah i mean it's really tough just now i'm going to bring you a little bit of audio from this week from head coach mark desantis Got a chance to speak to him at media availability on Thursday. So I just wanted to play a couple of questions to ask him just around about the preparation, the preseason, how prepared he feels the team is going to be heading into that first kick game on April 17th. Here's what he had to tell me. It's good to hear that the core is ready to go because obviously this is a very difficult march coming up for you. You've got guys that aren't here with visas. You're going to lose a big chunk of the guys away for international duty. How difficult is it going to be to get everyone ready? I know it's still five weeks away, but how ready do you feel you're going to be on the first day of the season when you've missed a big chunk of these guys for the preseason? You know, it's... Uh... It's a question where, for me, I can answer you, Michael. I'm not sure we'll be very ready or find excuses. Like, I, I want to get away from that. I don't know how ready we will be. Are we going to be to where I want the team to be? No, it's impossible. You know, I have to answer you. It's very difficult. Why? Because we have... In my head, thinking quickly, we have seven guys right now that are not even training. So these seven guys have to go through uh, finalizing paperwork, visa work, quarantine, starting to training. And it's players that might play a very important role in our team. And then you have the fact that in March, I, I coach four different groups. I coach uh, a group that includes the Olympic players, a group that includes the national team players, the group that includes the internationals that are not here. Um, 
the 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 drafts that are not here. So there's so many pieces that I only, I think that the only time I'm going to be able to have everybody together at the same time locked in preparing them is maybe only mid-April. Before that, it might be hard. And then there's the fact that we're it's the first time as a coach that I'm preparing without an exhibition game. Uh, so, you know, it's the exhibition games are great to give you okay, where are we without the ball? Where are we with the ball? What do we need to improve? Right now, we do, we're do. we going to do that only through, through inter-squad games. So there's no doubt, there's no doubt that the Canadian teams, I'm not talking only Vancouver, I'm talking Montreal, Toronto, we start not in the same page like the American teams. No, no way. But it's up to us as coaches in a group to also allow this to fuel our levels of ambition, of motivation, of going against everything. But I felt we've been doing that a lot because when I was speaking with the guys today, with our staff about what we did in Orlando, Orlando, the fact we, we qualified from the group we lost in penalty shots with so many guys away. What fueled us in Orlando, I'm just giving you one example, was the fact that we felt so many things against you and then it fuels you and your ambition to fight even more. So I, I think that in the first part of the season, maybe the first four or five games, we're going to have to get our motivation like that because it, it won't be easy. Just looking ahead to the season then, obviously we haven't got the schedule out, we don't know exactly what it's looking like. I think the expectation is it's a kind of normal looking season in terms of you're not just in a regional area of teams. Are you looking forward to actually having a proper season where you're playing every single team in your conference and you've got a chance to take points off every team in your conference? Yeah, I am, uh, Michael. It's been... uh... You know, I, I'm just looking for right now. I I try to to focus on what's the next step for us. You know, where are we gonna be confirmed? How long are we gonna be there? How is that gonna impact families and all that? And then get the schedule and evaluate our games. Uh, it's been very unnormal. So many things. If you look at the schedule we had last year was one of the toughest schedule in MLS. Uh, I hope it's going to be more balanced and more fair this year when it comes to the schedule. Uh, It needs to be fair. It needs to be equal for everybody. And I didn't feel last year was equal, but I understood that the pandemic changed a lot of things. Um, But my focus right now is to prepare the guys that are here now to the best of their ability. I'm not even thinking about schedule, Michael, right now. I'm just thinking about we need to prepare the guys that are here to the best of of our ability for them to be ready if they have to play tomorrow and not think about the guys that are not here, not think about the national team, not think about the Olympic team. The guys that are here, we need to prepare them to to be the best they can and then be ready to play the the first game. That's the only thing we can control. 
the other things is totally out of our control. Of course, I'm telling you this very openly. We are, I, I'm sitting here. I don't know we're going to play the first game. I have no idea. So I'm not hiding anything from you guys right now. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks, Michael. So MDS there, a, a very honest assessment. I mean, let's let's be honest there. I mean, he says he can't say how ready the team will be. It's impossible to say. He admits it will be very difficult to get anywhere near they want to be by first kick. Seven players right now aren't even training with the team, never mind any new additions that they're going to make in, in the, the coming weeks as well. I know it's not what fans are wanting to hear. They, they're they going to say he's making excuses already for the season, but the stark reality is, it's the facts, it's, it's what it is. He's not sugarcoating them. I like that. I, I like just to be shooting from, from the hip, just saying it as it is, as my former employee at the bank, Anne, who I reduced to tears, will, will testify to. Just be, be brutally honest, and it is going to be difficult for them. He says mid-April is likely to be the first time that the whole squad will be together, and then the season's going to kick off probably a couple of days after that. They've got to prepare to the best of their ability. I mean, as, as you said, it is what it is. Hopefully, though, there will be a proper schedule. This is something which is interesting because the schedule is not out yet because they're still working out some of the logistics. Hopefully this is a chance that the Whitecaps didn't have last season where they can play the other Western Conference teams, all of them, and get a chance to both take and lose points from every single team that is in their, their conference. As Mark said there, it needs to be fair and equal for everybody he doesn't even know yet who the first game is going to be against. And that's crazy at, at this stage where you're talking four or five weeks before the season kicks off. Yeah, that is crazy. And it should be an expectation that there is some some equity within the schedule, right? Like that there there is an opportunity for, for them to uh, be able to actually play the the people they're challenging for, you know, a playoff a playoff spot with, right? Like it's yeah. It, it's uh well, I mean, you, you had Kansas City last year that had so many games against Eastern Conference teams because they were in the central belt kind of bubble. So they didn't have to play lots of the tough games. Whereas we had like LAFC three times, Seattle, Portland three times. And I, the, the hope from what I can gather is that it's going to be a, a backloaded season for the Whitecaps in terms of home games. The hope being that Canadian teams will play a lot of games early on as away games. I know they're all going to be away games, but they're going to try and keep as many home games as possible for August, September, October, November, whatever, in the hope that the border situation changes and they can play those games in Canada. Now, that might work out great. I don't know. If they can pull that off, I think it could be a big advantage to the Caps and the, the other two Canadian teams. Yeah, but the only problem is, is that's really I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I, I personally think they should be prepared to um, spend the whole season in the U.S. Um, uh, the, especially with the rollout of vaccines, I don't see that happening anytime soon. And and it's just I think it's just better to be in one state of mind 
uh, be ready to do that for the whole state of mind. It's instead of thinking that, oh, will we, will, won't we, will we, won't we? It, it can um, cause issues for the m- mental stability of the players. Like you want to have one place where you're going to play all the year long instead of wondering what's going on uh, from this month to this month, essentially. Plus, Zach, you want to take advantage of the altitude possibility in Salt Lake as well. Like, we've spoken to two guys on our East 5 show that have played in MLS, one with Colorado, one with Salt Lake, and they both said, like, when they first got to those cities, they were, like, blowing out their ass trying to get fit, but they were the fittest they had ever been in their whole career. And uh, you feel the Whitecaps could possibly really, really use that as an advantage, and if if they ended up playing the whole season there... That could be a big thing for them. It could be. I, I guess one of the questions will be, well, how long it, will it take them holistically to adjust? Like not just yes. one or two players, but the whole whole team so that they can it can actually be an advantage. But it is definitely an, one of the potential pluses. I, mean, it's, I guess it's a, it's a risk as well that it could, could, could cause them problems. But mm-hmm. it, it definitely, yeah, it would be nice to see them be able to get some kind of advantage in the midst of all the disadvantages that they're... Um, uh, that that they're going to be facing. The the other disadvantage though would be if they do end up stacking it so that they're not actually playing at that many games in Salt Lake initially, then they're not going to get the advantage of the altitude. But I guess we'll have to see what happens. Mark mentioned the players are arriving. He hopes Saicedo will be here this week. Ali Adnan has arrived now and is in quarantine. Uh, I thought he might have just stayed overseas because Iraq has got some qualifiers coming up at the end of March. I'm thinking he's maybe going to be missing those then because I can't see him coming back to quarantine and then going going back to, to Iraq, but I, I don't know. Maybe they're going with a younger player at that position, like 29, 30. Yeah, <laughs> very possible. Maybe 40-year-old or something. Someone who's under 43. Michael, yeah. did, weren't you telling me that... Uh, uh, FIFA's changing things so that clubs don't have to release players. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll come get to that. To that yeah. yeah, we'll come to that in a later part. That's a that's a very interesting thing. There's been some further developments about that today as well. Now the the talk around the DP number ten has gone a little bit quiet as well, but it does look like we're about to add a new player under this new young player rule. I'm trying to call it the Yam rule. I'm trying to get that to to catch on. So we've got Yam, Gam, Tam hasn't caught on yet i think there's a bit of confusion when i when i tweeted about a yam they thought i meant young attacking midfielder yeah um, <laughs> when i first saw you yeah but i was just meaning yam to to try and be, be young funny. allocation money yeah i i wanted to to have the hashtag sweet potato but i didn't have enough room which pro- probably then ruined the whole tweet but yeah it looks reports coming out of brazil are saying the white caps are looking to bring 22-year-old right-footed midfielder. Now, I thought he was an attacking midfielder till I started to look at his stats. And the stats are all pointing him to be a central midfielder. But then I've seen a couple of comments on Facebook and elsewhere from like Brazilian fans and commentators that know him. And he seems to be more a holding midfielder stroke central midfielder. I'm going to murder his name. I don't know how you pronounce C-A-I-O. I'm going to go with Chow. I'm thinking it's not. It's probably Kyle or something, but let's call him Chow because that's fun. Chow Alexander. He's going to be coming from Botafogo, who are or were in the Brazilian Serie A. They just got relegated, so he wasn't a big difference maker to, to keep his side up, so... 
that, that there's a plus, but he scored five goals in 48 appearances across all competitions for, for Botafogo in 2020-2021 season. Now, I I tweeted out some stuff from Smarter Coach, and it looks like he's a, a guy that he's got good technical ability and creativity, Ultimately, though, the the stats don't scream difference maker to me. And the rumoured transfer fee for this guy is 4.4 million, which on the one season of stats that we're looking at seems a little excessive. Now, the thing is, you have to look into this with the stats. Was he played in the holding midfield spot? Do the Whitecaps see him in a different position on the on in the central midfield? That's the whole thing. If he was put into a, uh, he was on a team that really told him not to go forward, he's not going to have those stats. True. So you have to see exactly the way he plays in uh, where where you see the player playing, and I think that's more important than just like uh, uh, seeing what where he was playing it last year. We don't know those circumstances. From the things I've read, is that he's uh, considered a deep lying playmaker. And that's something that the Whitecaps have needed for a very long time. Yeah. But didn't, wasn't that kind of what Inbaum was supposed to be? No. No, uh, I he don't was know. meant to be more advanced. Like when he's gone to Russia, he's been playing in a more advanced role and he was thriving until he picked up uh, his ACL injury. And... But in Vancouver, they always played him in the double pivot as a yeah. creative player from that, that, spot, that spot. I don't. I just don't think we utilized him properly here, which is, has certainly been a... a a thing you can raise about a few players over the, the years here. But I mean, as Steve points out, we've needed a deep line playmaker for, for years. Is he worth 4.4 million? We don't know. Hopefully it's going to be a loan to start with and then see how that goes because stats and everything are great. It's the eye test. It's how he yeah. actually performs on the pitch in a different environment. Yeah. To put it in context, right, 4.4 million would be the second most ever Vancouver Whitecaps have ever spent on a transfer. Right, only yeah. Lucas Pellegrini would be more. I do you want that on a on a holding midfielder stroke, deep line playmaker? Exactly. And earlier, Michael, you were talking about you know um, MDS pulling no punches and whatever, and people being frustrated and whatever. People, I think people get the pandemic stuff and the you know the not everyone's ready to train yet and all you know people understand that. What people are I think are frustrated about Michael is the fact that they haven't got this done. And I know the pandemic oh, yeah. is a valid reason for, or there is a, at least a, a, a highly contributing factor to it all. But that's what people are are, fr- are frustrated about, right? Like that's the yeah. thing that it's it's it, another window is not closed, but feels like it's cl- closed or closing, and they have not gotten gotten this done. And now, after not getting probably their top three targets at least, and now they're they're talking about a player who it sounds like they might spin to sound like. The 10, who's not, again, not really a 10. Yeah, the, the the murmurs coming out behind the scenes are this is not going to be the 10. There's still going to be a proper 10 coming in. Now, I, I know what you're wondering, Zach, and Steve's probably already right on top of this because he's our computer whiz kid. What is his rating in FIFA? That's <laughs> that's what you're, you're wanting to, to know, Zach. Well, just now it's a 70 with a potential of 81. That means nothing to me. But no, the thing is, the thing is, just to let you know, he's not actually in FIFA 21 uh, because there's a licensing thing uh, with the Brazilian soccer teams. 
where oh. none of them are actually, if you go to FIFA 21 and you look at the Brazilian teams, actual none of them are actually real players. So there's a license oh. issue with that. So, so the guy with uh, his number in, in Botafogo? No, is... no, nobody is. I think this is a, a somebody simulated, like made a creation of the player. If anybody wanted to create him in, and put them, like create a player and put him in that team. Wow. I think they, they created this player for that position. Maybe that's why but, he wants to come to Vancouver, so he can literally get in the game by going to EA Sports. Yeah. I, uh, I missed the day when FIFA just had all the rights to everything. Right, like yeah. all the stadiums and well, everything. they don't have they don't have Bayern Munich Stadium. They don't have uh, no, Juventus. Really? Juventus is not even called Juventus in the game. They're yeah. called I can't Piedmont, I can't remember what Piedmont Calcio. Yeah, Piedmont Calcio Piedmont or something. Yeah, yeah it's oh like wow, weird. I never Barcelona. Barcelona has got an issue too. They're all with that that PES football. Yeah, uh, oh, they're they got okay. signed exclusively things with that. Uh, I wanted to mention about Daber uh, Cito, whatever. Um, yeah, I actually acquired him in my first year with the uh, uh, managing the Whitecaps, oh. and now he's he's actually worth in the game. He's worth about 166 million US. Oof. Wait, 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 wait! What level I, are you playing on? No, but I left. I left basically. I I left after like a couple of years at the Whitecaps. I went to. I'm now coaching at Ajax. Okay. So, oh, what Bobby, level, oh, you were playing with him. What level were you playing on? Uh, I was. Um, it's the one just below the highest one. So I don't, I don't, I think legendary is the largest one. I do one lower than that. So like world class? I think so. Oh, okay. That's respectable. Yeah. I think they have an ultimate now. It's like ultimate. But I didn't, I didn't even, like, I only, uh, it wasn't even the first year. It was after the first year. So I only played with him for one year. And then I left. I've been two years at Ajax now. So in two years, he's well, like, someone, one of you's got to tweet that out, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if we do add Alexander, and apparently all reports are that it, it's close to getting done, but if Alexander does come here and he comes as a yam, the, with the rules as they stand, if you have three senior designated players, you're only allowed one yam. Now, if we add this DP number 10, that would be our third senior DP. So then if Alexander's a yam, is Saicedo a yam? Because we were under the impression he was going to be a yam. So, I mean, the Whitecaps would either have to buy down Saicedo to just have one yam, or maybe buy down Ali Adnan to have two senior designated players and a couple of yams. It's, it's making me hungry, I'll be honest. What's but, your favourite <laughs> yam? <laughs> or maybe sweet potato. I love this. Or this could be a new section. Or maybe they get rid of the senior Ali Adnan. I'm oh, sorry, senior DP Ali Adnan, uh, and they transfer him on somewhere else. Yeah, That's I mean they could do that too. as well. But I mean, I think Adnan, I think he's right on the cusp that you, he his limit for you to buy down because of what oh, salaries would be. It's I thought you were going to say. I, I thought you meant retirement. Age, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> it's hard to know. A lot of things. It is. It is hard to <laughs> hard know. To know. <laughs> Without doing that bone test, anyway, but it's hard to know because they didn't release the player salaries last year and we, we don't know what's that. But the other thing is we're already out of international spots. So if Alexander comes in, we have to acquire an international spot for him. We have to acquire an international spot for the DP number 10 or we have to move to international zone. So, again, that's going to be interesting. It also looks roster-wise, we're going to then have to move some of the young guys on, maybe CPL loans or whatever, 
to free up these spots as well. And let's be honest, these guys that we're signing and that's on homegrown grown contracts, they need to be playing. And yeah. Montreal's done really well with moving their guys on to, to various CPL teams already. So I think the Whitecaps need to do that as well. I think um, back on doing that just now because they need as many folk at training as possible to actually take part in scrimmages. Now, if they loan out some of these international players, that opens up the international spots, right, then? If they loaned out the international guys, yeah. Just one last thing on this. If Alexander comes in and he's your deep-lying playmaker in the midfield, where does that leave somebody like Michael Baldissimo? Because that is the role that he could certainly do. Is Alexander better quality than Baldissimo? I have no idea because I've not seen this Alexander guy play. Watching the highlights that that Steve's got up behind him as we do this, I mean, they, we've talked about this a lot. The guy looks good in his highlights package, but that's the whole point of a highlights package is to make the guys look good in it. Is he going to be better than Baldissimo? We don't know. Is he going to settle better in the league than Baldissimo? We don't know. But what we do know is Baldissimo needs to play this season, he needs to play regularly, whether in Vancouver, whether somewhere on loan. For his development, he has to be playing, if not week in, week out, as often as possible. So, I mean, if he, if Alexander comes in, it's hard to see when you've got Bikel and Owusu in there that Baldissimo is going to be getting regular minutes. So, I mean, what what, what would this mean for him? I uh, if if this happens, I think uh, I think he basically goes to the bench. I think he's maybe the first option off the bench uh, for those spots. Um, uh, then you've but, also got like Tiber, Andy Rose. Well, p- people are saying like Tiber could be playing in the wide areas as a backup or on the bench, and then you got Rose who can play center back, mm. so you can move people around that way. I think they're just I think they're just trying to cry barley bodies because they never know uh, the fact that they're playing in the U.S. Um, with COVID still an issue, that they, they just need enough healthy bodies so they can keep playing and not have to. Uh, oh, actually, they're not going to forfeit games. They just won't play those games like Colorado. Well, and... also, it's like if Canada makes the Olympics, Baldissimo yeah. is almost a yeah. lock. I would say to be going away for up to six weeks in the summer. So I mean, there there is that aspect of it, and I, I'm not. I just wanted to stress I. I've said before, I don't care where the players come from. You want the best players on the pitch. And if Alexander is deemed to be a better player than Baldissimo, I'd rather have Alexander as the guy here and the guy playing. But I think Baldissimo did show so much last year that it it would be disappointing if they're kind of on a par and Baldissimo is the guy that loses out. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that, Michael. Like, he came on leaps and bounds. And we talked a lot last year about how frustrating in one sense it was that he only got a chance because of you know injuries or suspensions or COVID or whatever <laughs> I forget remember all the reasons he he got that first uh, run in the team mm. but had it not been for that like he I, I, would he have played <laughs> would he have gotten that much time last year I don't think so so he but he showed that he has there's he has a lot to offer I think he has a lot to offer and he also has a lot of potential and upside and you're right, the, the dude needs to play and they need to make that happen and they need to make that a priority for the player and for themselves. And remember, one other thing is too, Alexander is not going to be a long-term solution in the Whitecaps. He, uh, all these young uh, designated players are here to be sold off again. Um, I guarantee you, even the Alexander signing, they probably have heard that he's got interest in Europe. 
Uh, so they picked, plucked him up now, uh, play him for a year, and then sell him off, just like they did with Imbong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of these guys are not going to stick around that long. The guys like uh, um, even Salcido, he's not going. He's not going to be here forever. Maybe a year, maybe two at the most. And I, I don't want this to sound that I'm down on Alexander coming in or whatever either, because I'm not. Because if he is a a good signing and if he performs regularly at the level that his highlights videos show, with some beautiful passes and like splitting defenses and through balls and stuff like that, great welcome addition to the team. And I've been crying out for like us getting Brazilians and Argentine players in the team because I think they'll be the real difference makers. But one South American that definitely will not be here for the season, although we pretty much knew it anyway, we'll just end this part on this. Freddie Montero, like E.T., has gone home. <laughs> he's rejoined Seattle Sounders. He said he's going to miss the food in Vancouver. That's the main thing that he's going to miss. He also said he feels he wasn't properly utilised in his last two years here, which I I saw someone tweet this and I agree. It's kind of a revisionist history for the first of those two years because he was playing. It's just last season he didn't get a lot of playing time initially. But I, I think the Whitecaps had discussions to bring him back. It was discussions that Mark said... Both parties just could not agree to, to everything for, for him come, to come back. His heart was always in Seattle anyway, let's be honest. And You think? <laughs> ah, maybe. But <laughs> he, he was not... He was good when he was good, but he wasn't as consistent that I feel he needed to be last year. He was streaky. But when he was on his game, he was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he won a few matches over his time in Vancouver. But he was not, I don't, like, he wasn't, well, especially the, the last, the second spell, he wasn't a difference, like, a consistent enough difference maker to warrant what he wanted. And that's putting aside all my other, all my other issues. Are you going to miss him, Steve? I never really talked to him that much. So those I, conversations I, won't be happening again, I guess. But the, you, um, you can find out how many years he's got left to go on his Seattle contract uh, the next time you speak yeah. to him. The, 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 um, the, Sorry, go ahead, Steve. No, I was just going to say that, you know, he was a luxury, like, to have, like I said, last year even, but then he ended up being there. I, I There's something about him in this system that doesn't work. So yeah. that's where it was confusing where he, why he was brought back. He definitely can't. I think he's probably got some stuff in him still, uh, but I don't think it's a full, like, 90-minute striker type thing. I think he really fits in well as being uh, backup to Reed Diaz. Uh, because they're very similar type players, kind of. Um, I think Rediaz probably has more, um, like higher work rate when they're playing up top. But uh, but uh, but I think they're very similar players, and they're kind of poachers that yeah. uh, could be really getting uh, do well in the box. I, let's be honest, Freddie is a player that thrives on service, and he's going to get that in abundance yeah. in Seattle from that team. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I wish him well. I've always enjoyed speaking to Freddie. He's been very generous with his time. He's done a lot of things for, for us on the show. I think he's still a great player. He's still got a lot left in his tank. I think he's going to do well with Seattle. And I look forward to celebrating an MLS Cup in the locker room with him at some point. But that is it for this part of the show. We are going to continue our Whitecaps chat in the next part as we turn our attention to the forward line. And we'll be back with that 
after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Russian music. Качали даже твой Тетрис, блядь. ДЛБ. Поехали. Ехали медведи на платной карете, а за ними леди сверху на ракете. Это бенгеры с окраин на расстроенной гитаре. Баси башит, как базука. Волком тураши, сука. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the first song from our new Artist of the Month here at AFTN, representing Russia, DLB. That was Welcome to Russia, Suka, which I've learned Suka is bitch in Russian. I've been learning my Russian swear words. I would actually like to learn Russian. I don't know how you even start because it's very those symbols and letters and stuff. Yeah, you you should start with the alphabet, Michael. That that would be a good place to start. But yeah, DLB. The, the lazy way to describe them would be Russia's answer to D Antwort. There's a little bit of rap, some hard bass techno in there, and I've got to be honest, I have fallen in love with Loli from the band. She is absolutely wonderful. I now follow her on Instagram. She posts these cute little Instagram stories. I've no idea what she's saying because it's in Russian, but they're cute anyway. But check them out. They are our Artists of the Month for March. And Russian music is actually one of the weird things that I have got into during lockdown. It all stemmed from I spend way too much time on YouTube. And it came up with a recommendation for Moscow Death Brigade, which is a, a punk rap band from Russia. So I got really into punk them. rap, punk rap, and I bought their three CDs and a T-shirt, and I follow them on social media. I now follow DLB as well, and a post-punk band called Ploho who we're going to hear later in the show as well. I've also had some lovely Russian ladies follow me on social media now as a result. I, I'm sure they're real. I I, I really am. The, the one in particular that sent me uh, an emoji of a, a pussycat, I thought that was a, an adorable thing that she sent me. But as I said, that that is like Russian music is one of the weird things that I've kind of got into during lockdown. Is there any weird stuff that you guys have got into during the the last year of COVID shutdowns? Podcasting from home? That's not that weird. That's I'm where joking. podcasts are meant to take place. I'm joking. Yeah, but not like have have you got into doing a radio show from home? But yeah, that that's weird. Not getting in the studio but doing a radio show. 
Any, anything like not obviously you've been watching lots of streaming and stuff, but is there anything unusual? Have you taken up an instrument? Have you tried to learn Russian? Well, I, I, I there's one thing that I, I don't really want to announce that I've been doing um, until it's done. Um, so that's one thing. And then um, I have also um, uh, tried to uh, learn um, mechanical stuff with cars. Oh, uh, really? like car mechanical. Yeah, I've been I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos and then going down to the car and fiddling around with stuff. Uh, so to, to kind of learn how everything works. Uh, oh, I tell you, it takes me back to my my teenage years fiddling about in a car. <laughs> yeah, but that other thing, I, I I'll, I'll let you know about that later on. Oh, I'm very very in- intrigued now. What about you, Zach? Anything weird or unusual, or something that people wouldn't expect from you? Have you been baking sourdough bread? No, no, I have not. Show us your sourdough starter. Um, yeah, no, unusual, no. Just lots of hanging out with my family. Uh, yeah, like watching TV shows, movies, reading, building Lego, uh, playing lots of games, going to parks. I don't know. That's yeah, not, not, not missing the football at all, really. Yeah. No, no, like, no, I mean, yeah. I've been but, watching a lot of historical documentaries. Which oh, I I, ah. I did used to before, but I I've been really looking for the the really hidden ones, not the obvious ones. Like I, I used to watch a lot of World War Two stuff, uh, but yeah. I'm looking at the stuff that like more of a the hidden history. Like there's one guy, uh, a Canadian. I, I I'm drawing a blank on his name, but all the stuff he did in World War Two, and uh, like the way he basically took down the Germans single handedly in one town in the Netherlands. Uh, so. A lot of stuff like that I've been watching. You were just watching Captain America. That's what it was. Wasn't it? No, no, it was It was a Canadian. It was a Canadian oh. guy. Well, I threw out on Twitter tonight, just before we did the show, to, to ask what some of our listeners, any weird and wonderful things that they, they've done during the, the last year. So I'll just read some of their replies just now. Chris Salish C86, he's been learning jazz guitar. He says, I've played guitar for 40 years. I've loved jazz for 35 years. Put the two together, and now I feel like I know nothing about either. I have to admit, not a big jazz fan. It's some uh, kind of musical genre that's never, never really grabbed me. But on a similar musical note, our good friend Ryan McLeod at CTV Ryan, he says, I started learning guitar 10 months ago and have since added in bass guitar and harmonica. It's not that weird, he says, but I guess the weird part is I'm recording songs where I play all the parts and videos that will never see the light of day. Why am I doing it? God only knows. Hashtag Beach Boys. I've well, now should, challenged him to do a wavelength song for us. Or uh, do the our theme song in, with his acoustic guitar. Oh, right, there you go, Ryan. There's a new challenge for you. Uh, JJ Adams says it, it's not something that he hasn't been getting into. It's his pants. Thanks, COVID fatness, he says. I'm sure he's not. Speaking of J.J. Adams, we should give a shout out to his sister's uh, Netflix show. Oh, I've yeah. actually seen it. Um, I think it's called Ginny in Georgia or something yes. like that. Yeah, Ginny in Georgia. Uh, yeah, I've watched it a couple episodes so far. It's really good. I've heard some really good stuff about it. I, I'll ch- when I get around to it, at some point, I will check it out. So that'll probably also be about 2026 at this rate. <laughs> ben Cooper Whitecap says, I wouldn't consider them weird per se, but as a non-French speaker, I got into the Quebecois band Les Trois Accords. Probably murdered that. I also made a concerted effort to find a Vancouver Royal shirt, but came up short. But I nearly did buy an Ethiopian hockey jersey, which sounds intriguing. 
Alex from Between the Sticks said, Some of my friends and I have been getting into GeoGuessr. Does anyone know what oh, that is? Yeah, I have actually played that. He it's says, basically... I now know way too much about North Macedonia, considering I've never been there. But he says, I guess you can call it missing travel, travel bug. No, no, I played that too. Um, you essentially go on, it's a, it's a, it's a website you go on. Uh, they use Google Maps and you go around and you try to guess where you are in the world with uh, oh. just the information by just looking at Google Maps. So I think I was in the Philippines today. I was in uh, Malta and a couple other places. Well, that sounds fun. I might I have to look into that. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun game. Uh, you can play one game a day for free. Otherwise, you sign up for the pro. I think the pro is like a buck ninety nine or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And you can play as much it as you want. It does actually sound really fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fun with the kids, too. It's fun to play with the kids, too. Everybody tries to figure out where you are in the world. Ah. Colin Murdoch says, I bought a smoker about 10 months ago. I spend my time trying to perfect Texas-style brisket and Montreal smoked meat and bacon. He says, it also gave me gout for the first time ever. <laughs> Gout's good. the worst. Yeah. I, I bought a smoker when I was in Scotland. And I bought it in the winter, it was in the sale, and I never ever got the chance to use it because there was a windstorm and it blew a fence on it and it crushed it. Ooh. So, yeah. Um, now, talking of Russian bands and stuff, Sky McLeod says, have you heard of Molshat Doma? And I hadn't. They're from Belarus, Mondeslutsk. Uh, and I checked them out. They're a post-industrial, post-punk band, and I really liked them, so they might make a future sort of artist of the month as well. Uh, keeping another musical thing, Johnny at No Way Takeoff A said, I've been learning to play the kalimba. Now, does anyone know what that is? No, I could look it up if you want. Look it up. It is, I'd never heard of it. It's wonderful. I watched a couple of videos on it. He says, I'm not musically inclined, but this thing is fun, easy, and has a weird community of people who oh, upload it's... the list of random songs, mostly anime tunes and 80s hits. No, I do see it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's kind uh, of it's, like it's, a, it's a guitar, but it's not got piano. strings. It's got yeah, like it's kind got of piano, pedals. metal, metal. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I it's, I really really like, like it. A, a and it's very, excel it. It's very small too. Fully arrived says I blew my vacation savings on a classic MG. Applied for my pal and watched redneck gun reviews on YouTube. And the weirdest thing is, who would have thought I'd been listening to Sleaford mods? And he thanks us for that. See, some folk do like my artists of the month. I honestly, they're how, they're like I, I, there. Sometimes you do get into a weird um, YouTube rabbit hole, and I think it's been got weirder during COVID. Yeah, I definitely do, which is how I've gone into all these Russian bands. But the last thing for this section, then we'll move on. Aaron Campbell, former EFT and writer, says. I've been watching World War II documentaries on YouTube and Netflix. So similar to you, Steve. Never had an interest in them as a kid and now can't get enough. World War II and colour and Netflix is a great show. Oh, I don't yes. know if that's the one that I've seen from the BBC, but if it is, yeah, I was fascinated by that. It was a six-episode series or something. And to see it all colourised, and I'm not a big fan usually of colourising black and white stuff. Like, I don't like Laurel and Hardy's that's colourised. I like yeah. the original, the old Doctor Who. I don't like seeing any of them colourised. But the World War II stuff, it was gripping. It's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I've always been into World War II. Like, I even, uh, I think when I was in high school, early high school, like, part of it, I, like, my dad ordered the Encyclopedia Britannica just before internet hit. 
So it was like a complete waste of money, essentially. Um, but uh, part of it was a 24 uh, set of World War II books that all had all the, the propaganda like you were. There's a whole uh, volume on uh, propaganda, essentially, on both sides. Uh, that, so that absolutely that fascinates me and i could drop it off anytime sometime in the future if you yeah want i wouldn't mind reading that yeah. it's like the the propaganda on both sides just fascinates me the, the way that they, they did it and yeah yeah anyway let's move on from that let us know though any weird things that, that you have got into we will move on now to some more football chat now last week we spoke to evan newton and we kind of focused on the white caps defense in, in our chats now, we mentioned that Pedro Gaspar was hopefully going to get announced this week. He hasn't been yet, but as far as I know, the deal is still getting done and, and he's going to be here. But this week, we're going to turn our focus into the attack. And I got a chance to, to sit down with uh, one, one of the strikers that's going to be fighting for minutes this year, Toussaint Ricketts. He signed an extension. And... Uh, I'll play the interview and then we'll talk a little bit about it. A lot of interesting stuff from Toss in this, just talking about the season to come, what he's been doing in the off-season and his hopes for the future, both kind of off and on the pitch. So go grab your favourite hot beverage, a chocolate digestive, sit back and enjoy our feature interview for this episode with Toussaint Ricketts. <laughs> So thanks so so much for for joining us today, Toss. I, I know you spoke on Monday, so I'll try not ask you much of, of what you kind of went over on Monday. But I was just thinking back, and it's almost a year to the day, the second game of the season, down in LA. You get the winning goal, and then you look at what's happened in the year since then. How, how do you look back on the last year from? that game where you got the goal and then just everything that's happened since. Wow. Um, it seems, it seems like a, like a century ago, you know, um, but I just look back at obstacles, you know, um, just how quickly things can change and how quickly the world can be affected. It makes you appreciate what you have, you know, it makes you appreciate coming into a facility with everyone here, being able to interact, eat breakfast together, and you know the the struggles that you know we went through as society over the last years makes you appreciate, you know, just human connection and the simple things in life, and and really it makes you grateful for what you have and and um, everyone around you and just the relations you can have with people, you know, because when you don't have them, it's um it's a uh, it's kind of lonely, you know. Yeah, it's it's been a strange time. Like back in February last year, I was back in Scotland. I was at football games with my friends, seeing my family, and then everything's just changed so much. And I, I was speaking to some of the Kansas City players, and they had said like the home opener felt like a lifetime ago for them. I, I don't want to dwell too much, obviously, on everything that that happened before. Looking forward to the season to come. The schedule's not out yet. We spoke a little bit with Mark about it, and he doesn't know yet what's happening, who's playing who. I think the expectation is that all the teams are going to have a normal, normal season. I know it's not normal for the Canadian teams, but last year you were playing the same teams every couple of weeks. This year it looks like you're going to have 
a more level playing field in terms of playing different teams. Are, are you looking forward to that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we had a tough schedule. I mean, uh, I, I don't think anyone could argue that. You know, we played LEFC, like, what, two or three times. We played Sporting Kansas City, who was good. We played TFC three times. We, you know, we, we played Portland a bunch of times. You know, those aren't those aren't easy games for no one in the league. And, but um, as a group, we never complained, which is nice. You know, we knew we knew it was tough. We knew we're where um, our backs are kind of against the wall. We had, um, you know, different circumstances other than the other American teams. And, you know, nobody really got down on each other. Nobody really was unmotivated. And um, it really showed the character of the group and, you know, what could come in the future. So we're excited this year to have a more balanced schedule, playing different teams and having a more variety of, of, of teams to play. So. I spoke to Axel a couple of weeks ago and he mentioned that the club's hoping to to rent houses this year, not hotels, and bring families down to, to have everyone together to make it easier. Is your family expected, like, are you expecting your family to come down with you? I know it's not easy for everyone because there's work, there's visas and stuff like that, but are you expecting your family to, to be down there with you? Yeah, um, my my girlfriend, you know, we've been together for, 12 years now so we're we're pretty much like married but not married yet but she's she's been with me the whole journey um from israel turkey romania lithuania you know she was there every step of the way so she for her to be coming to salt lake is a is a small trip compared to what we've experienced so um she just got a job so she'll she'll stick around there for for a couple months and then maybe make the trip down um during the summer but she's fully prepared to come and uh, um always always willing to support me that's excellent because I I know I know it's tough for wives in general. I spoke to Mark last year and he had said his advice to any young coaches is don't do it if you're married. Like get into coaching initially when you're single because you can be going everywhere. And I mean it's great that you've shared those adventures together because I was I was writing down all the countries again that that you'd played in and like Canada is your seventh. I guess playing out the US technically makes it. You're eighth, and I know we spoke about that before as well, just like your journey and, and everything like that, but when you look back at, at those clubs, and this is kind of moving on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, we'll talk a little bit about your business degree that you're doing, but you mentioned on Monday that you've seen a lot of good clubs, you've seen a lot of bad clubs, and you'd spoken to me before about not being paid at some of the clubs and stuff like that. What From all the clubs you've played with, who do you hold up as clubs that have done things properly? Um, these MLS clubs, uh, TFC was an excellent club. You know, they, they saved me out of my, my situation in Turkey where I wasn't being paid. And, you know, they were kind of causing issues with my international transfer certificate and, and really holding that as leverage. Um, so TFC spent the time to, really um take that time to fight for my for my certificate and get me free it took a couple months but they were patient and they really um sacrificed a little bit of um time and uh was patient with me to get that done so you know all the respect to them and um obviously here as well um at the white caps and what what is different and what i really appreciate about these clubs is the transparency you know they're they're fully open with you they you're 
whatever's in your contract that's written in stone, you know, um, you're not going to be taken advantage of, you know, you're always going to be paid on time. Um, management is willing to talk to you, answer all your questions and be honest and truthful. And they're willing to help you every step of the way. And um, in some of the clubs I played in the past, that wasn't the case, you know, and, and that's especially tough when you're in a country where you don't speak the language, where you're, um, you know, you're, you're immersed in a whole completely different culture and you're alone. You know, I, like I said, I only had my girlfriend with me fighting through these situations where I'm not getting paid, but I still have to go on the pitch every day and fight and, and find motivation and perform um, for my own well-being as well as um, just my character of who I am. You know, I'm not someone that will take an external factor and, and bring it into a, my team and, and have it affect me there. So um, it's tough, but um, definitely here has done well. TFC, Norway as well was fantastic. They helped me get out of um, my situation in Romania, which is kind of similar to Turkey, where they're holding my transfer certificate and blocking clubs from signing me. Um, interesting story. I was supposed to, I signed and I was in Dinamo Dresden, signed in the team pitcher, ready to play for, for them when they're in Bundesliga two. And I was so excited, big opportunity. Then um, the day we were supposed to play Man City in a preseason friendly, uh, my Romanian club called and said they wanted like $3 million transfer fee when they haven't paid me for six months. And we were in a court case battling for my transfer certificate. So Wow. The German team obviously didn't know what was going on. They they didn't want to get into a dispute. They didn't really, they weren't prepared to fight for me at that time. So they said, okay, get your stuff sorted out and come back at a later date. And obviously, you know how soccer is. Um, once the opportunity passes, it's gone. And so, you know, those are, those are things that people don't know about. But um, those are obstacles that I face and obstacles that I've overcome. And, um, you know, I, I never stopped. I, I kept going. I kept going. I kept going. Yeah, I think a lot of young guys here, they, they just see Europe as it's like it's the promised land and the grass isn't always greener in some of these places, especially some of the Eastern Euro European places. Like even in, in Scottish football, I know there's guys that's come over and there's been like false promises and everything like that. I guess your experiences there, is that... For anyone that, that didn't hear you speak on Monday... At the moment, you're you're just finishing off your degree at Southern New Hampshire University. You're doing a, a Bachelor of Business Administration. Now, all your experiences overseas and the footballing side and how, I guess, not to, to run a football club, is that what really got you interested in the business side of the game? Yes, um, especially that, you know, because... For me, the, the environment is so important, you know, and, and a lot of that responsibility falls on the business side. You know, um, the decisions you make in the front office is what molds the environment here. What those decisions when foreigner players come in and, you know, they may not speak the language, but you know exactly what they need to feel comfortable. You know what type of obstacles that they're going to face coming into a new country. Be. And those are the things that I know because I was in those situations so many times. So even here, like, just because of who I am, I'll, I'll go out of my way to help players get into better situations. Um, for example, even just now with going to Salt Lake, I know it's tough for some of the, some of the foreigners. So I went out of my way to find other accommodations and, you know, I got a few players set up at a, at a, at a nice place in uh, Salt Lake. So cool. you know, just little things like that. It's, it's, I don't, I don't do it for, 
myself, I just do it because I know how it feels to be in that situation where, you know, you, you're, you're out of your comfort zone, you're out of your environment, you know, language barriers, and you're just, um, you just need help. And um, I never really had players step up and, and help me in those situations. And I was always relying on my ability to adapt and ask questions and find solutions. So um, just being in those situations, you know, developed a passion to want to create a better environment for, for players and, and, you know, basically build a brand of an organization and, and, and make it a special place where players want to perform and can flourish. So, so you finished your degree in August. When did you first start doing this? Um, I started, I obviously, I got a scholarship when I was, when I was younger, scholarship to the University of Green Bay, where I was, you know, doing school, but I wasn't fully focused on school. I just wanted to play soccer. And uh, so I got a little bit of a start there, but I, I left early to, you know, I went to Finland to pursue a career. And um, so then I picked it up when I got back to North America, when I signed the TFC and um yeah, I've just been doing it ever since. And then when I got here and heard about SMHU, I started to pick it up a bit and I started doing two classes every semester. And um, yeah, and I got to this point where I'm going to get the, the degree in, uh, in sports management and business administration. And I'm just going to continue on uh, to my master's and I'm not stopping until I get to the, you know, the highest academic accomplishment. I just feel like once I'm ready to transition on to the next step in my in my life and in my career I don't want um any buts you know like oh he has this experience but he doesn't have this accolade he has this experience but he doesn't have this degree um you know that's especially and you know being being black that's that's my mom always told me you know be two times better than everyone else so that's the that's the attitude I I've been, I've been bringing with myself and that I carry with myself that I just want to make sure there's no buts once I'm ready to transition. That's fantastic. I, I do a, a podcast back in Scotland and we've been speaking to some guys that are involved with the players union over there. And one of the things that the players union here do and MLS do, like this tie-in with SM, SNHU, I think is fantastic because yeah. getting that education, because the sport is... It can get taken away from you at any time with injury, but it's a short-lived career at the best of times. That's something we don't have in Scotland. We're starting to get that. But the guys here, it definitely seems the way to go and the way that the league and the union and everything give you that kind of support and the chance to get that education. I think it's fantastic. Not only that, it's it's contagious. Um, you know, right now, when me and Andy started, I don't think any other players were doing it, but now you have young players, um, you have... Thomas Hassel doing it. You have uh, Patrick Metcalf doing it, Theo Bear. Um, I think Isaac's in it as well. And all these young players, they see us older players doing this and telling them like, listen, you know, it's, you're getting a uh, 75% off, which is good because, you know, school is expensive. Um, you're going to have to prepare. One day you're going to have to retire and you're going to have to transition. If you start doing one class now at the age of 21, you'll be done in uh, whatever, four years three years, whatever, by the time, before you know it, you'll be done. And then, so now these guys see that and they're, they're taking advantage of the opportunity as well. And it's fantastic that, you know, the league has this relationship with SNHU and it's, it's fantastic. These young players are, are keen enough to jump on board that now they have opportunity. So you're doing your, your practicum at the Whitecaps. You, you started it this week. It's an eight week practicum. 
was the Whitecaps the only place that you have really had the chance to do it and play or would you have been able I guess we're going down to Salt Lake it, it really would have been difficult to do it at, at another business but I mean is it I guess what I'm trying to ask is is it weird being a player at the club but then also now seeing how it operates behind the scenes uh not really I mean obviously it's, it's weird for other players to see me doing like different things like in between training and stuff but um i think it's cool i mean i think it's, it's it's a good look on the organization to have you know senior players and 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 you know the the veterans of the team provided opportunities where they can gain experience and and really prepare for for post career you know i'm i'm very much still fit and focused on soccer but you know i don't i, I don't think i don't see any um i don't see any negatives in preparing for the future right so um, doing that here in an environment that I that I'm very passionate about, and um, I'm going to be heavily involved in the community, which is you know something I'm passionate about as well. Anytime you can have a positive influence on the community, I think that's great. You know, um, growing up, I I never had anyone that really stepped up, somebody in um, in a you know a professional setting or a professional player step up and really provide to the community. So having uh you know having this opportunity and working in the community and um you know working on projects and you know seeing initiatives through creating initiatives i think it's uh i think it's fantastic and it's going to be a great experience do you see yourself like long term more in the business side i i know this the coaching possibilities as well you, you said you'd like to maybe combine both i mean when you look at something like the cpl you seem tailor-made to go into a new CPL club and be involved in the, the playing side and the business side and help grow a new club that's just starting off. Is that something that would really, really interest you? Um, I mean, I've been someone that I, I'm open to all opportunities. I'm not scared to take a risk. I'm willing to go anywhere where I can gain experience and, uh, you know, take any steps closer to my to my dreams, you know. I think the ultimate goal is to, you know, become a, a president of a club, you know, someone that is involved with contract talks and, um, you know, decisions and molding the team and influencing the team on the pitch and, you know, what that looks like, but also somebody that is making decisions on the business side as well, creating the brand and, you know, building the fan base and uh, aligning with the market. And, you know, I, I see myself in a position where I could do both, you know, from my experiences playing and my, um, my, my passions in business. So, if, if um, I'm sure there's a role somewhere out there and um, I, I'm sure there's the right mentor who I could be uh, apprenticing under. And um, I'm just hoping that through talking and preparing and, you know, hopeful wishing and, you know, in the universe working right that I'll fall into the right position where I can really learn under somebody and um, be molded into the, the, the person I really want to be. That's, that's fantastic. Just the last thing, for the kind of the main interview before I ask you a couple of just fun things. The, the season to come. I, I felt last season, you, I, I felt you were underused. Um, it's just, you're a guy that we've seen what you can do at TFC, especially off the bench. And I feel that you maybe could have had a bigger role last year, but I know the way the team was set up, it was then maybe difficult in that regard. What do you see your role being this year? Are you you pushing for that starting spot do you are you happy to have the the kind of bench role um i mean i'm always somebody that is is going to be working as hard as possible always um whether 
I'm starting, whether I'm on the bench, I'm always pushing those who are in front of me or those who are behind me. Um, those who are behind me are motivated because they see, hey, this, this guy is 33. He's still playing. You know, I should be there. And those in front of me feel the pressure from behind. So regardless if I'm starting if I'm on the bench, I, I'm working as hard as I can to be uh, a value to the team. You know, whether it's I'm, I'm pushing Kava to really perform each game because he knows I'm, I'm knocking on the door and I'm there waiting and, and, and ready to go. But, um, you know, I just want to do what I can to help the success of the team. Um, I'm at the point where I'm not really selfish. You know, I've, I've always been a selfless player. I, I sacrifice for the team and, um, you know, I just want to see the organization do good. And I just want, I just want to make the playoffs, you know, and, um, that's, that's, that's my personal goal this year. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the minutes wherever they are, but I'll be definitely pushing to, to get as much minutes as possible. Canadian-wise, like international-wise, do you still harbour hopes for being involved with, with the national team? Because it's a big, big year for them. I mean, there's even opportunity you could even go to the Olympics as an overage player, I, I guess, because it's... Would something like that appeal to you? Or? Um, I mean, I, I've never... I mean, I've, I think I've... In my whole career with the national team, I've turned down one, maybe two calls... This last, I turned on this last January camp because um, I just had the operation, the little cleanup. Um, so I was just not fit to go, but I will keep answering the call. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm four goals back from D row right now for the all time leading scorers. So, you know, that's a, that's a goal. That's a goal of mine. And um, I, I feel good. You know, I, I feel, I feel fit. You know, I feel strong. I feel like I still have many years left and I'm not closing the door on any opportunities. Um, I'm still very much involved and very much still loving soccer and um, I'm going to keep going till I can't. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your, your time today, Toss. I really, really appreciate it. Hopefully at some point we'll get to see you in person this year, but um, yeah, good luck with training, good luck with everything and good luck with the, the practicum as well. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. Bye. Some great stuff from from Toss there. I mean, he he's gonna be fighting for for minutes up front with like Theo Bear, David Egbo as well, and and just maybe trying to get in beside beside Cava in that maybe two striker system. What do you feel that Ricketts' role is is gonna be this season? Do you see him sort of coming off the bench mostly? I do feel that he really wasn't utilized to the best of his ability last season. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think he's more of a uh, a spark off the bench. Like, I don't see him... St- I, obviously, he can be starting if they need to um, spell uh, Cavallini once in a while. Uh, well, I mean, but he's like also to- going to be away with Canada quite a bit yeah. as well. So I'd like to see him provide that spark off the bench when the whole roster's there. Uh, that would be the ideal thing. Um, I don't... Honestly... Only, uh, I definitely don't want him to see him starting on the wings. I'd rather see him start up top uh, when they need, like, if they have a, a back line that's a very bruising back line where he can, like, be physical with them and maybe beat them on with his speed. I'd like to see some uh, parts of that down the middle because uh, you need that speed down the middle sometimes. You just can't have it on the wings all the time. What about you, Zach? I mean, if we're playing a two-striker system, who do you see up there with Kava? That's a great question. I think 
Toss can do the job there, right? Because they're different kind of strikers, and he can get in behind a bit with his pace and um, and play off Kava. I think there's potential for them to do that well. They know each other. They played together. Um, there's, I think, there should be good good enough chemistry. Um, I, I just wonder, it, yeah, if they're gonna play, I, do you think they're gonna play two up top all the like the majority of the time? I think four four two is is basically yeah, okay. what what Mark's going with now. I mean, the, uh, y- you've got questions. Does does the homie start up top? Do we play him through the yeah. middle and not use him on the wing? I think that's got a lot of possibility. Four four two is the is the main formation they play. Then I think that bodes well for Tussain Ricketts. The, the the questions you have are, which I think you want to talk about maybe later, Michael is. Is what is Egbo like? What how yeah. how good how good can he be? Obviously, I've said earlier, everyone's expectations should be low. He's coming out of the draft, mm-hmm. and if he if he contributes, that's like it's like a bonus. It's like great, but the expectations should be low. Um, and then, of course, you have Theo Bear coming back, and he also could provide some like a different look. Um, I also yeah. I also think I also think it's probably not what he wants, but. Tustin Ricketts has been really good in MLS at coming off the bench and running it. He was great with TFC. Yeah. And I think he can do that for Vancouver, both up front and potentially formation, maybe dependent or personnel dependent out wide. Um, so I, I think, I think he, if he stays healthy, I think he has the chance to actually to contribute for them with the caveat that Vancouver needs someone to help create for them. Well, yeah, that, that too. And it's like, as I mentioned right off the, the top, this show's coming out on the 7th of March. It was a, a year ago to the day that Toss was scoring that winner down in LA. Just yeah. it seems a lifetime ago now. And you thought Toss was then going to maybe really build on that and have a great season. And he just, he wasn't used. And I don't know if, if it's because Freddie then came into the team late on and started doing so well that that was why then Toss wasn't used as much. But... I still think he's got a, a big role to play here. And I talked about Cava being away with Canada and that's going to leave opportunities and Eggbo's expected to maybe step up in that case because Theo Bear could be away as well if Canada's in the, the under-23 or maybe even if he's done well and is with, with the senior team, depending on who can fly over and stuff. We'll, we'll come to that a bit later on. For me, for me Eggbo is more like... A... If I were to compare him to somebody, uh, the coming out of the draft, it would be um, the guy from Portland, uh, Jeremy Ebobisi. Yeah, uh, I, I could I compare him to there, and he he in his first couple of years he didn't do that well. He scored like uh, maybe in his first two years a total of uh, eight goals in total, no three goals in total in his first two seasons, and he just mm-hmm. in his third season is when he uh, popped off. So I think it's a similar thing with him. We're talking about guys that might be away with Canada. Could to Saint be away with Canada it's like I asked him there and he said he'll never turn down a call up for, for Canada yeah. if, if he's healthy and he's only four goals behind Dero to be crazy. the all time leading scorer yeah. he wants that record he said he's it's like it's it's a personal goal of his he still wants to be involved with Canada this feels like a year that he could be because of travel restrictions yeah yeah. I, the, prob- the problem is, is there is that uh, in normal circumstances if he played right back, then he definitely would be with the team. Because, <laughs> because up, up up top, they, for once, they really have a lot of depth uh, in the attacking spots. Yeah, but Michael's right. If some of those guys don't come in from Europe, then yeah, that could make a difference. 
But I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I would be happy for someone not named Dwayne DiRizzo to be the all-time <laughs> league scorer for Canada. I'd be nice to be, have a, a Whitecaps guy do it as well. It'd be, be even nicer. But I mean, just, just to end this part, Tosh revealed that he's doing his degree at New Hampshire University. He wants to go on and do a master's. He wants to go as far as possible and, and do what he can in it. It's a business degree, and he wants to get involved in the business side of the game. He he's doing an eight week internship with the the Whitecaps just now, working in the front office, training as well. So he's he's seen both sides of the organisation. He's got his key focus on community and to to build up the club in the community, and he's really interested in building a club off the ground and getting launched in the community. So he's like tailor made for the CPL. You have to feel. He said he wants to be the president of a club one day and have the overall running of of a club like that. Surely he is the ideal kind of guy you want involved in the CPL. Yeah, I think um, yeah, this is exciting. He's doing this through the school that the league's connected with, like David. Yeah. Rose. So I mean that I mean, as we talked there, it's a great initiative. Yeah. I love it's- that, and he he said it's infectious, and a lot of these young guys now are seeing him and Andy Rose doing it. And now, like the likes of Thomas Asal, it's like, oh, I want to, I want to do this. I want to think of my future and have a, a qualification and a degree. Absolutely fantastic by MLS and the union. Well, it's awesome for him, and I love his aspirations. It would it'd be great to see someone like him with his experience and his. Um, I think there's a high level of appreciation for him and the supporter culture around Canada. Uh, but to someone like that find their way into uh, find the way into the boardroom the way we've seen in CPL already with people like. You know Jim Brennan and, and Rob Friend and Josh Simpson and the like. So I think that would be good. Side side note: if he's interning at the Whitecaps front office, just I hope he doesn't say anything that leads them down roads. All I remember is Joe Cannon being work doing some work in the front office, make just sharing some thoughts and oh. things not going things not going well. <laughs> the next thing he was getting fired out of a cannon. Yeah, not not didn't, nothing, nothing went wrong with Joe Cannon, and nothing was wrong with what Joe Cannon said, but the way that folk people took his thoughts and ideas and observations didn't, didn't play out well, in my opinion. But I mean, what he said there, Steve, as well, was that he feels as, as a black player and his mum gave him this advice, you need to be more qualified than somebody that is actually less qualified than you to be able to get the job. That's why he wants to do the Masters. He wants to get as much education so he can go to these interviews and be head and shoulders above the nearest competitor because he feels he still needs to do that, which is a, a sad indictment, really. Sad indictment, but he, and, and even that and even that might not help him either, unfortunately. Um, uh, probably more now, more than ever, but definitely uh, it would be beneficial for him to have those credentials because then he can't, nobody can say he's not qualified for the spots. But he is the kind of guy that you want involved in Canadian soccer for the future of Canadian soccer. And like just speaking to him there, we, we said this about Andy Rose as well. We're lucky to have him at the club. Like to say what he brings to the club and a lot of the young guys, when you speak, like who's, who's helping you adjust to being in the first team? Who's helping you get used to being a professional footballer? To sense the guy that they mention as the guy that's helping them to find the ropes and do all this stuff. And I, I genuinely am glad that he signed a contract extension last year and that we've got him here for a couple of years. He's a, he's a great guy. I look forward to seeing 
what his future career in Canadian soccer brings. But that is it for this part. We are going to be jumping in the TARDIS in the next part, taking a little break from our football chats and going back in time. So come back and find out who's travelling in the TARDIS with me this week. Hey, I am Axel Schuster and I'm listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the second of tonight's songs from our new Artist of the Month, Russian band DLB, and that was a song called Toxic. You've got to check out the video for that, it's fantastic. I, I recommend checking out all their videos, in fact. You can find them on YouTube. Their channel is Grupa. DLB, that's G-R-U-P-P-A and we'll be back with another song from them next week but coming up in the final part of tonight's show I'm going to keep the Russian theme going and bring you a song from another Russian band that I've got into over the past year but that song there, Toxic, was just released a couple of weeks ago by the band so that's the present I'm sure after you hear them on this show, they're also going to be your future favourites. But it's time now to take a trip back to the past, do some more time travelling. So let's find out who's hopping into the TARDIS with me this week. Well, it's none other than new Whitecaps goalkeeper, Evan Newton. So let's find out what three football matches from the past Evan will travel back in time to see. Uh, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I like the idea of time travel. And the, the section that, we, that we've been doing is, if you could jump in the TARDIS and go back in time to watch any three football matches from the history of football. Now, they could be matches that, that you've played in. It could be matches that you went to watch as a, as a kid or matches that you'd love to have been at as a fan or just like a historic match. For example, I picked the the very first World Cup final as a, a game I'd love to go back and and, and be an attendee at. What, what three games kind of instantly would come to your mind that, that you'd love to just go and watch as a fan? Man, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know if I can name three right now, but the first game that just popped in my head was uh, I was in high school it was Liverpool, Milan, AC Milan, Liverpool, like Champions League. That 
you know, it was like it was like three nothing and a half or yeah. something. One and then came back and then you know Liverpool came back and then they ended up winning in penalties. Um, I think that would have been a crazy game to be at and one that like sticks out in my head. Yeah, I I think I like yours as like the first ever World Cup would probably be awesome to say like you know you saw the first ever World Cup and or or, or for me I think a, seeing a game that you know Pele like a World Cup Pele was in. Uh, just seeing him play in, in person would be really cool, you know, uh, as a, like such an iconic figure in, in our sport. And um, yeah, let me get maybe one that I would love to go back and play again. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I'd like, I'd love to go back and like play a youth game again for some weird reason. Um, there's, there's one goal that I've said in interviews over the years that I always like, remember, they always, they always ask like, what's something from the youth that you, sticks in your head and for some odd reason this is always stuck in my head but i remember like u11 i used to play half on the field and half in goal and so all right until like i was like 12 or 13 and like odp so in us there's a thing called odp and when i was growing up that was the big way to kind of get seen um it's like an individual program where you like you try out for your like district area then you try if you make that you try out for your state and then if you make that you try out for like your region and then and then if you make the regional team, you try out for like the national team because there's four regions in the U.S. And like, so it's a way to kind of like identify players, like starting in your area you lived and then like it gradually gets bigger if you continue to make it. And you have different camps and like tournaments and traveling with those different teams, you know. So anyways, I used to play half and half and I didn't start full time until ODP started. And so um, I remember this diving header. I remember the field. It was this crappy field called Brill Field. And, uh, the ball came in from my left. I made a run kind of near post and like dove and like headed it near post, like top, you know, in the top. And like, I just remember, you know, it felt like, it felt like, like 400 people were there, you know, but there's you know, probably 50 parents max and like, everyone's going crazy. And it was against the team that we were like kind of rivals with. And like all, I remember like all the guys kind of coming up and we're like celebrating, but um, cause I didn't score a ton. I was more of like a central midfielder, just like, you know, I, I wasn't like a big, like attacking threat. I was more of just like move the ball, like ping the ball, like distribute, you know, like a passer. And so anyways, that was, I remember that diving header, like it was yesterday, like in this crazy. Cause like, I remember every moment of it and it's just a random thing. It is weird stuff like that sticks in your head. I, I vividly remember a goal I scored as a kid as well, which was a spectacular <laughs> overhead kick. But I oh, remember wow. it because it was an own goal. <laughs> I was trying to clear the ball at the edge of the box and I miss kicked it and it flew behind me and into the top corner. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I feel like at that point you just got to celebrate anyways. You know? <laughs> so, we, so we should expect when you go up for corners late in the game, I want to see a diving header from you at some point this season if i go out for a corner i'm doing whatever i can i actually in 2000 when i was at sacramento 2017 i want to say we were losing at the end of one of the games at home i went up for a corner and you know sacramento gets good fans right so it was like a pretty packed night like 11 12 000. and i went up for a corner and i and like i remember getting the box and i'm like no one's marking me i remember thinking like no one's like even like marking me i'm just like free so i, I was like I knew roughly where our guy would hit it usually because I'm always watching. Right. And I said, look, I'm not going to like make a run. I'm just going to kind of like float and then I'm going to go hard wherever I see the ball going. Right. And it just so happened that 
the thing just like no one marked me and, it, and like it kind of came right in my path and I didn't even have to float anywhere I just like floated and then just d- darted straight and like I got up for the header I beat the goalkeeper and the guy on the post cleared it right off the line oh. and I was like oh it was to like tie the game you know but I almost like semi reenacted it there but that would have been, <laughs> been awesome but what a bummer like clear off the line you're like it was like it's such a change of emotion so quickly see that's a game you can go back in time and and then you know the guy's going to be in the line so you just want to like do it a little bit further over yeah and i I went conservative with the header because in my head i'm just thinking just hit the frame just hit the frame because as a keeper you know how tough it is if the ball is just on frame especially that close and like header and stuff like make the goalkeeper save it you know so i remember just saying get on frame get on frame but like Maybe if I went a bit more like, uh, you know, I don't practice cor- like headers on corners. So, you know, maybe if I, I didn't want to like go too, too much like aggressive with it and like miss the frame and, you know, maybe I could have gone a little bit more aggressive and tried to place it a bit better instead of just, you know, putting it on, on target. But, you know, it is what it is. But I don't know if that answers your question, but there's a couple moments for you, I guess. No, that's fantastic. Evan Newton there, a fine selection of matches that he's gone back in time to revisit and watch once again. And it's always nice to have a little bit of a personal twist to it. So that headed goal that he scored as a kid, definitely one he'd like to go back and see. So we've had a really good response to this section online. So I'm going to read you an email and a couple of tweets that we've got from listeners of the show. We'll start off with some more tweets. This one is from Big Country Footy, and he's actually gone for four matches. His first one, Celtic versus Inter Milan, the 1967 European Cup final. He says he was five years old. It was a 2-1 win for Celtic. Celtic had become the first ever UK side to lift the famous old European Cup trophy. His second is another game from that competition. This was a final that was played at Hampden Park in Glasgow in 1960 between Real Madrid and Eintracht Frankfurt. 7-3 to Real Madrid in the day. Puskas and Di Stefano were playing in that match in front of 129,000 fans. What an occasion that would be to take in. His third game stays with the European competition. This time it's the UEFA Cup and it's Seville. 3-2 win for Porto after extra time over Celtic, but a great occasion that one. And his last one that he picked, gone for fourth, we'll let him have it, TFC versus Seattle, 2017 MLS Cup. So I think that's really a game many folk would want to relive, especially Whitecaps fans. Kevbo, at The Real Kevbo says, Spurs versus Ajax, May 8th, 2019, said being in the away end as Moura puts away the winner in 96th minute would be incredible. His second selection, Spurs versus Man United, May 14th, 2017, the final day at White Hart Lane. He never did make it out to the stadium and that's obviously a regret that he's got, so he'd love to be there for the final match at the stadium. And his third game, April 17th, 1937, Scotland versus England, Nearly 150,000 people at Hamden that day. 
to take in a Scotland win. And one final tweet for this week. We'll keep some other ones we've got for next week. Chris, SailorC86, he also agrees and we take Real Kevbo's first choice. That Spurs-Ajax game from 2019. So that would be incredible to have been at. Chris is another Spurs fan, so he's gone for another Spurs game as well. The 1981 FA Cup final. He says, I'll never forget watching it from 20 miles away. Would have loved to have been at Wembley for the victory. And his third game brings us much closer to home. TSS Rovers over the Highlanders for their first ever Juan de Fuca plate in 2018. So some great tweets there. Keep them coming at AFTN Canada or shoot us an email, aftncanada at hotmail.com. So we've got uh, an email in as well from one of our listeners that has submitted his three time-travelling adventures, Chris from Langley. And this one actually has something to do with you, Zach. So he starts off by saying, as a Man United fan, the first game I would love to time-travel back to would naturally be that legendary 1999 Champions League comeback where Sir Alex Ferguson's Red Devils stunned Zach's mighty Bayern Munich. Sorry, Zach, he says. That is not the the reason that I said it, it's to do with you, though. The second match Chris picked, he said, I would go back to the Vancouver Whitecaps inaugural match in MLS against TFC at Empire Field. This was the first soccer match that my father and I went to together. My father grew up in East Van, and it was a reminiscent moment for him as he previously played the saxophone in a marching band that would perform during halftime at the BC Lions games back at the day in the original stadium. And we've had a few on this show and on the, these five shows as well, kind of a, a, a touching kind of moment that, that's kind of linked to something personal, and I'd really like that as well. He says, as I walked through the tunnel for that game against TFC towards the stadium seats and the pitch, the atmosphere was electric all around me. I had goosebumps from the noise of the fans, the music blasting and the smell of burnt popcorn and hot dogs wafting through the air. The whole experience felt like I was part of a special moment in time for the Whitecaps and I got to experience it with my father. So a lovely thing there from Chris. Now the third one, Zach, this is what is to do with you. Chris says... The last game I would go back to would be one that I actually played in. Zach might remember this moment as he was also there. It was a cold, overcast fall evening in Langley. I was the starting keeper for my high school soccer team, the Titans. I recalled we needed one more win to clinch a playoff berth, so the pressure was on. Every game that season we only had a couple of parents stick around to watch the games and drive us home afterwards. We never had a support group that would come and watch and cheer us on. During this important game, I was surprised to hear the banging of drums and chanting coming from the stands at McLeod Athletic Park. I looked to the grandstand and see Zach and members of Curva Collective cheering us on to victory. I later learned that some of my teammates were good friends and went to the same church as Zach and Langley at the time, and that led us to having some great support on that evening. I felt like Joe Cannon every time I made a goal kick or a punt from the box as I heard from them, SPOOM! We eventually won the game and I recall reclaiming a shutout. Afterwards, walking towards the corner flag near the supporters and clapping my hands in appreciation for their support. Even though the game didn't make the headlines and no one got scouted for a Premier team, it has been a special moment to this day for me 
as it was the closest I felt to playing for a professional club. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Curva Collective. So a really lovely one there from Chris. Do you remember that game, Zach? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I think he was teammates with uh, Nathan Weeb, I think, who you would know. And I think yeah. uh, was Tim Dixon on that team too? Um, yeah, so a couple guys who I knew knew really well. Nathan Weeb, um, you you might know he they were they were part of the original small group of people that that helped form Curva Collective, and um, him, his dad, his two aunts, and then he's he's also known. Nathan's known because his his dad has an egg farm here in the valley, <laughs> and so some of our people would get eggs from get eggs from. From him and his dad, which was always awesome. But yeah, uh, I think it was. I think that was Langley Fundamental, if I remember correctly. Um, and so, but uh, that that's lovely though to go and do that. Yeah. And it's like it, it obviously like it's meant a lot to Chris, and it's really stuck with him through all that time. It kind of just shows you what what support can mean at, at all levels of the game. I, I I just I thought that was a really lovely story. Yeah, it was. It was fun. There wasn't like a a, a massive amount of us there, but. Um, yeah, we brought some flags and, and stuff. And I don't know if we, I'm trying to think if we brought any smoke or anything, maybe not, but, um, no, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was, I, I do remember it was cold. But that, that's fantastic. That's what we want from this series. We, we want yeah, the games that you travel back in time to that means something to you on a personal level, as well as just the games that, that might be something like super special or super famous, like that Champions League final that so many people are trying to pick. So some fantastic selections there. Keep them coming in. AFTNCanada.hotmail.com by email or get in touch on Twitter at AFTNCanada. And we're going to keep this supporters theme going in this week's Wavelength because as, as the famous Bill Shankly once said, football without fans is nothing. And because of that, it's March. You know what that means. It's time once again for Football Violence Awareness Month. Yes, our bi-yearly event here at AFTN is back. And do we have a cracker for you? Anyone fancy a bit of argy-bargy? Of course, I'm talking about the band. And of course, I'm talking about the band singing about some argy-bargy. English punk band argy-bargy. Coming up now with a song from their 1995 album... Drink, Drugs and Football Thugs. This is a song just about how the the tabloid newspapers and the media over in the UK love to glamorise football violence. They're always going on about how terrible it is, but at the same time, they can't wait to cover it in the pages of their papers. This is Argy Bargy. Read all about it.
Read all about it there, Argy Bargy. We'll be back next week with another song for Football Violence Awareness Month. But that is it for this part. We are going to be back after the break talking about Canadian football, the national team, the under-23 team, the Canadian Premier League, and we're going to be talking about a young Whitecaps player that hopes to have a big prominent role for his national team in the coming weeks and months, striker Theo Bear. We're going to be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Marcel de Jong, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this final part, I've brought you another song by a Russian band. It's not our Artist of the Month in this part. It's a band I mentioned that I've got into as well. They're called Ploho. They're from Siberia, Novosibirsk to be exact, which is the third most populous city in Russia behind Moscow and St. Petersburg. They're a post-punk band. That song is taken from their 10th studio album, 2019's Dust. Now, they're a very prolific band. They were formed in 2013 and they've got 11 albums out already. And that was a song that in English is called Bitter Experience. So we'll be bringing you some more DLB, but probably not any more other Russian music this month. Unless you've really enjoyed it, let me know and we'll bring you that as well. But we're going to turn our attention now back to talking about football. And in the second part, we heard from Toussaint Ricketts and we talked about the kind of striker situation at the Whitecaps. So from a veteran striker now, we're going to turn our attentions to a a younger striker. And we mentioned him a little bit there in the second part, Theo Bear. Now, it feels like a massive year of opportunity for Theo, guys. He seems to have moved from a wing role to being an out-and-out striker now. He's got this chance of being with the under-23s. They're going to be playing their Olympic qualifiers in Mexico this month. If they get through that, hopefully heading to the Olympics, that will be be taking place in Tokyo late summer. Great opportunity for him there. But as we talked about, a great opportunity possibly for him to establish himself as Kava's strike partner, or at least be the first guy off the bench. What are you expecting from Theo this season? And, And how big a season is this for his career? I'm a little surprised that, um, at least in part, that Theo's still in Vancouver. I thought he might want to uh, break off and, and try and go somewhere else and break through somewhere else. Um, so I think I think this I think this will be the season where, um, if he doesn't, uh, if, if this season is more like last year as opposed to the year before, I think then you'll see 
you'll see him move on unless he like actually makes a stake for being a regular part of the of the team um he he's a he's a big dude like we've been you know watching him since he was since he was playing since he was young uh he's a big dude with a lot of good uh, you know attributes um he's has been able to play out wide but i think there's a desire now for him to more be like a center forward or whatever and um yeah he's got he, the... he feels his frame helps with oh, yeah. that but being big because he'll be he'll be a handful for defenses he's got the he's got the size for it he now he has to have this the or he has to continue to develop the physicality and the mentality of of, be, of being in there and taking the beating that you do and um taking advantage of his his, his physical attributes um he's also shown you know that he has um good technical ability i mean hmm. ever i mean when, when you say theo bear everyone in vancouver and even those who pay attention to things around the league will talk about his goal in portland and just the Beautiful. absolute quality that it was um so like with all young players uh and with most mls players the, the question is consistency um how he can perform uh or can he perform consistently and so 2021 will be another exercise in that for him you know what level can he get to and how consistent how consistent can he be at that level and that will determine that will go a long way to determining his role in the team and like everyone else in the squad he's going to have to earn his minutes in training mm-hmm. like working hard battling in training with guys like Kava and um Toss and probably Egbo as well uh, to fight for all the minutes that he gets but uh, you know I, I hope he does he's he's all my interactions with him, he's a nice young man. Um, and I hope that I hope that he can have uh, a future, whether it's in Vancouver or somewhere else, where he can m- live his dreams of playing the playing the game at a high level and and enjoying it and yeah, make a living of it uh, while while he is doing it. I mean, it does feel, Steve, like this could be the make or break year for him here. Yeah, uh, here not obviously for his career, but oh, definitely yeah. here. Um, but he needs to go. Basically, he needs to go after it. Um, he can't let it come to him in this year. He needs to go after it, like like Zach says, show it in training, um, show it in the inter-squad games, um, and and basically be a very ag- an aggressive type player. Um, he can't let the like he's got a within the framework obviously of what the Whitecaps and Mark DeSantis wants to do, but he's got to show that aggressiveness where he's showing intelligence and aggressiveness and not uh, sacrificing one for the other. Yeah, he's definitely hungry. And he said this week that he's worked harder this off-season than any other off-season. And he didn't go back to Ontario. He wanted to kind of stay and work hard and and show what he's got. And that that's all absolutely fantastic to hear. And he, he's, he did well when he was away with Canada. He got the first goal of the Canadian camp in January. Got the first goal at Whitecaps training this week as well. And I got a chance to ask him a couple of questions when he, he did a scrum on Thursday. So I'll, I'll just bring you what he had to say in that just now. Hey, Theo, good to see you again. You seem to be really enjoying training camps this year. Yeah, got the first goal at the Canadian one. You got the first goal, I think the first goal anyway, at the, the Whitecaps one. What, what is it about this year that you've kind of come out the gate flying? I mean, I, I get to play 
play striker, which is nice. Um, so I'm all around. I'm all around the ball. I'm all around the net. I I get to get to shoot. So that's a that's a big part of it, I think. But um, also, I I put in a lot of work in terms of my weight and in terms of just being prepared mentally for this year. So uh, I think the combination of just uh, being prepared mentally, uh, getting my body ready, and everything like that has me has me feeling good. It definitely feels like a, a great year of opportunity for you this year, both at the Whitecaps and with Canada as well. Olympic qualifiers are coming up. You've got, a, a if Mark's looking to be playing a four-four-two, a great chance of playing as that, that second striker. Are you looking at this year as a, a very important part of your career? Yeah, honestly, I think it might be the most important. Uh, obviously, every year you want to improve and uh, this year's a big chance for me to, to improve and, and definitely show people that, that I can play at a, at a very high level. So I'm, I'm excited for, for whatever comes and, and ready for whatever opportunities present themselves. The Olympic qualifiers coming up in just a, a couple of weeks down in, in Mexico. I think everyone would be expecting you to be on, on that final roster. What, what are you looking forward to that? And on a personal level, what would it mean for you to get the chance to go and play at the Olympics? I mean... Getting called into that would be would be unreal. Um, it'd be obviously an honor and you know, a pleasure to play alongside all my Canadian brothers. It's that's what we live for. Um, playing at the Olympics and actually qualifying out of it is is something I think every athlete in the world hopes to do. So um, that's that's the thing, something of dreams for me. Cheers, Theo. So a few thoughts there from Theo Bear. He's definitely hungry for this year. He he knows it's a, a season of opportunity at the Whitecaps with Canada. And I'm really rooting for him. I really like the guy. He's got a lot of skill and just such a, a great person as well. And it, it's good to see him this hungry because I think, I think the battle, as we touched on in, in part two, for getting those minutes up front is going to be fierce. And I think a lot as well is going to boil down to this bear versus Egbo. And right now, we don't know how that's going to play out because we don't know what Egbo is going to be like at training. We don't know how they're going to be like in the games. If you look at the all the battle for, for minutes across the squad, I think this is the one that excites me the most because they're both very exciting young players. They're both very dynamic players. And I'm really curious to see how this plays out. And I think having that battle is going to help both of them, actually. Yeah, uh, they say competition breeds excellence. So um, it should definitely, uh, hopefully both of them come in with the, an idea that they, they are going to be performing uh, for a spot on the team. It is... Um, essentially a little bit easier for Bear because he's not an international. He doesn't have to be loaned out to uh, if, if, they, if they need the numbers or something like that. Um, but then Egbo has the advantage that he knows that Bear is going to be going away uh, for qualifiers and stuff like that. So he's got that advantage. So it's going to be a really interesting play because each of them comes with uh, pros and cons going into the season. I think that is potentially one, you know, that is one of the people positionally who he will be battling with. But again, kind of like Steve said earlier, uh, in terms of him go- going after it, he has to show that um, kind of he's like above Egbo in the pecking order. 
because of his experience, because of his time at the club, because of his time in MLS already, as opposed to a player coming out of college, uh, it will be really, I would, I'd be really sad for Theo and disappointed for Theo if, if Egbo is getting more minutes than him, you know, and it's, and it's more down to just, uh, you know, what's going on in training as opposed to some kind of characteristics that we discover about Egbo that are, you know, would put him, make him a better partner for player X or Y or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he, I mean, if you're looking at those two players, he's the incumbent and he has to, he has to fight for a spot. True. But I mean, he is going to be heading off in March, as we said, for those Olympic qualifiers. We, We touched on it in our little chat there with him. And the Whitecaps, as we talked about earlier, is going to lose a lot of players for the, the Canadian national team senior and under 23. But interestingly, I mean, Mark DeSantis said they will always release players for Canada because they want to help Canadian soccer. And that's the commitment that they have made to the programme. And one day Mark probably wants to be the coach. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that as well, yeah. Now, Chris Armis has said that TFC likely will not release all their players for the under-23 Olympic qualifying. The reason being that TFC have got this Voyager's Cup final that is slated for March 20th against Forge FC. Is he right? Because they don't have to release them because it's not in a FIFA international window, although we're going to come to that aspect of things soon anyway. But are TFC right to do that, do you feel? I mean, they're right in terms of if FIFA says they don't have to, then they don't have to. Um, I think the Voyager's Cup final is not a like I can't remember I can't remember the list of players, but it doesn't to me it doesn't make any sense whatsoever if you're TFC to say yeah we're gonna hold back a bunch of U23 players or X number of U23 players because we want to have them for the Voyager's Cup final. Okay, the Voyager's Cup final one you should be wanting to win, right? So you think they want to put on their best players, and I don't think too many of their players would fall into the U20 mm. the, the Olympic category. Two. In a year where you're going to have a truncated preseason, especially in terms of matches played against other teams that are not your own intra-squad games, you'd think you'd want your your top players playing in as many of those as possible. So again, you wouldn't want to be using necessarily, unless they're in your starting 11, U23 players in that. So why would you need them for that game at that time? Yeah, again, I find it a bit odd as well. Are they right to do Is it within their rights? Yes. Is it the best for Canadian football? I don't believe so. Is it even logical in the circumstances? From what I know, no. Let's talk a little bit then about this Canadian Championship final. I mean, that everyone's talking about the date of March 20th. I don't think it's actually officially been confirmed that it's going to be that day, but everything's pointing to that. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure. I've heard from multiple people that that's the day. Now, did you guys see Bob Young's letter on Twitter today? Well, like to the, I've been the off, Canadian I've been off, soccer community. I've been off Twitter, so I only looked it up because you because you told me to. For anyone that hasn't seen it, he's basically calling out Canada soccer for favor favoring TFC over Forge in picking a date when TFC are prepared and have preseason all ready to go, and they've started it, and they're they're, they're able to train. But Forge were only able to get special dispensation to train once the date was set, which still officially hasn't been announced. So they're going to be a couple of weeks behind TFC. 
So Bob Young said that Canada Soccer are are basically favouring one team over the other. He doesn't feel it's right. Why is the game getting played now? And th- there's a lot of things to unpack from this. Before I go into any of it, what what did you think, Zach, when you when you read the letter? When reading the letter, I had to separate my feelings about Bob Young and Scott Mitchell and mm-hmm. um, their 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 involvement with Forge and the Canadian Premier League, right? Because you, on one hand, you're grateful for their um, commitment to making this thing happen, but it can also be very grating uh, how they've handled certain things in the time of the league and the lead up to the league. Um, so in one sense, it comes off a little bit like within the CPL circles, uh, y- without a doubt, there are things that you can say that Forge has been favored for. There, yeah. That's not even debatable. Uh, at, at least one or two things, significant things in my opinion. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of now that they're, now that they're the small fish uh, in this, in this discussion, um, it, it is kind of ironic to see them strongly expressing their concern, concerns about it. However, they do raise some very legitimate concerns, right? Like the, I mean, we, we won't, I mean, we assume that Bob Young's being authentic in terms of kind of how he, how he shaped things in that letter in terms of the CSA only really working with one of the teams and not really working with the other. Now we don't know all the conversations, but I'm assuming he's being truthful in how he's describing the situation, but um, regardless, yeah, it, it is, uh, it is, it does, it does sound very unfair. And he brings into it some good things about um, player safety and um, you know, just like being ready to play a game. And <laughs> if one team has more than a month and one team has like a two weeks or whatever, or less, maybe now, <laughs> like that's that, I mean, people are doing stuff on their own, hopefully, but that's not, that's not great. And I mean, to his own fault, it, it would be helpful if the Canadian Premier League had a players' union so that they had some kind of standard yes. for when they for when they get back. So, in one sense, it points to his and some of his colleagues' own neglect of 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 some of these things. But yeah, the th- the thing is about you know uh, my thing about Bob Young. He definitely knows if anybody knows about favoritism from a soccer governing body, it's Bob Young. Yes. So he's an expert on it. So if if he says there's favoritism going on, I'm going to take his word for it. I mean, it is very ironic. But the 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 flip side of that is, for for all your thoughts and fords and some favors that they've maybe had from the CPL and folk are always going on about the Hamilton Mafia running the CPL and stuff like that. Putting as Zach said those feelings aside, what you what this boils down to here is, you've got a very influential person in Canadian soccer that's put money into Canadian soccer calling out the governing body and that's a major story if you break it down for that yeah the the, the two other things I wanted to say is that yeah you're right and that is a huge thing especially in a week or whatever it was where yeah Dwayne put out that article or whatever and they freaked out right like where they said I don't know if you saw the article I didn't read the article but I saw the headline it was like by Hamilton for Hamilton. Oh you know, yes, I, I read the article, yeah. but I didn't know what I didn't know what the reaction to it was. Oh yeah, the reaction was uh, Bob Young or Scott Mitchell. I think got Dwayne's phone number and called them and like yelled at him for I don't know however long. And Dwayne tweeted like, "Yeah, I don't really appreciate you know being treated in the in that way." Which oh wow, Dwayne, I'll, have to, Dwayne, I'll, I'll have to catch up on that. 
if you if, if you're gonna write stuff, you know, Dwayne, you, you, for and I appreciate like I know Dwayne, I appreciate him. But if you're gonna write some stuff that asks some hard questions, you got to be ready for some hard responses. Um, but um, so that is a, I agree with you. That is a, that is a concern that you have someone who uh, is trying, you know, who throws their weight around financially is now do, is now do questioning these things in the public. The other thing which I wanted to say, Michael, which is actually your point uh, in this from your tweet about when you tweeted the thing is. I know there were a lot of challenges, but it shows uh, the um, lack of forethought and the foolishness in not playing this in 2020. Oh, yeah, because they could and should have yes. been able to fit that in in December. Yeah, totally. I mean, you can also flip it around and, and say Forge had their chances to qualify for the Champions League already and they blew it, but that's a whole different issue. Yeah, but that's, I've that's, seen a couple of folk mention that, but it's like that's that's a different thing. Yeah, this is not this is not simply about qualifying for the Champions no. League. This is for the Voyagers Cup. This well, is to be named. It's also the principle because we could, depending on how this season play out, be in exactly the same position in a year's time. Yeah. It's not a good look on the CSA and Bob Young is totally right. And no matter what team was in this position, I would feel the same. And if it was the Whitecaps going up against the CPL team, I'd feel exactly the same. I'd yeah. feel that the Whitecaps had an unfair advantage. Now, this is obviously going to fire Forge up, no pun in intended. They've got some axes to grind by the looks of it. They're they are going to be up for this match. And they have just brought back Tristan Borges on loan for the season back from Belgium. It's impossible, obviously, to say can they do it. They've got a, it's a one-off game. They've got a sporting chance. Everyone's got a chance in a, in a one-off knockout game. I think this could be something that tips them over to get really fired up. But I do also think this game could get out of hand on the pitch as well. We could see this explode over. That's that's more more likely what I'm concerned about. We've seen Forge do that before. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, because you, you could be in a place where the. the just in the heat of the game, things happen, or it could be uh, the frustration with how the results going. Maybe gets out of the score gets out of hand, and then you see some Forge players just take some liberties. Did told a side note. Did, I, I know you guys don't watch the Bundesliga, but if you have a chance, you should Google the highlights Hoffenheim versus Wolfsburg from this weekend. Okay, because end of the game, Hoffenheim's winning two one. Uh, Wolfsburg has a corner. There's like one and a half, I think, minutes or whatever left in the extra time. Time added on. And so the keeper goes up for the corner. They don't... Uh, Hoffenheim gains possession off the corner. Their striker, Dabur, is going, running down the pitch and the keeper's kind of chasing him. And he totally should have shot, like, at the empty net from once he got over half. Like, he had he had time and opportunity, but he keeps running with it. And one of the, I forget which Wolfsburg player was. Michael, you, you, you will love this. He runs from behind and does the jump double leg... Like just oh scissor oh yeah <laughs> long just, hand style oh just takes him out oh yeah totally just I forgot like, about that I was there for that one so yeah. so bad and you the look on his face you know he's like he's just like we're gonna lose and he oh and he was also I think on his fifth booking anyway so he's facing a suspension no matter what and he's just like I'm just and he just cuts him down like so viciously. You you have to watch it. It's oh, quite. It's quite. I could, I could see that happening though. Something like that totally. in the TFC because we saw at the end of their their last Champions League game there. Just to quickly touch on a couple of CPL things, then like Tristan Borges is coming back. I don't know what to make of this because in some ways, 
it's not a good look because it's like your much heralded CPL player has gone off to Europe but couldn't actually make it in Europe and has had to come back. Is that a fair thing to say or? Yeah, I think it's fair, but I mean, that, that that's life. Like, I mean, if he comes back and does well again, I think Forge will be happy. Uh, the CPL uh, spin spin doctors won't be, but um, Forge will be. And then if that spurs them on to go back to Belgium and 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 make the breakthrough, or go on go to somewhere else and make the breakthrough, mm. that's that can all be good. If he comes back and he he isn't that doesn't do well, and he turns out to be like a one hit wonder, you know, one season wonder. That I mean, that's more where it could be a problem. Yeah. Another player that we know very well, Ben Fisk, is currently looking for a, a CPL club. Is he going to try and, or I'm saying looking for a CPL, he's looking for a new club because he's no longer with Ottawa. Is he going to try and play for every single club in the league? Well, I guess we'll find out. But I love the, somebody put out a tweet about him like collecting uh, yeah. clubs like Thanos' rings. I saw that, but that was a surprise. I did not think Ottawa's first captain would walk away. Now, we don't know whether it was Fisky's choice or whether it was the club's choice because it could be that they maybe weren't offering him a good deal to come back. Yeah, I can't remember his situation either, whether or not he had a guaranteed more than one year, but probably not. It was a, that was a, a surprise. Where, well, where do you think he could end up? Because I don't think he's coming back to Pacific. Yeah, I would imagine he's not coming back to Pacific, but I would imagine that he's going to land somewhere, uh, whether it's CPL or otherwise, just because I think there'll be other clubs in the CPL that would want him. Uh, so I don't think he'll be short of offers. I could see Tommy making a play for him. I could see Alan Koch making a play play for him. Who did? Yeah, because Cavalry just just brought in someone else that I was uh, David Norman. Yes, yes, that's it. Junior. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, someone texted text me about that. His dad could still play, probably play CPL. It's fine. But Dave, no, yeah, David, I was pleased David to see Norman, David coming back. Is David Norman uh, the sixth dad? David Norman the fifth? Yeah, he could still play well into his forties because I played. I played with him when he was in his forties. He was still great. I, I'd heard murmurs that he was signing a, a CPL deal. I thought he'd go to Edmonton. I really thought Alan would bring him to Edmonton because of their experience together at yep. WFC too. So, I, I think though landing at Cavalry is a great place for him because under Tommy, I could definitely see him thriving. Yeah, I we just hope that he doesn't have. I mean, the big concern in the last year for him was the physical stuff, right? So if he can stay not not fit but injury free, um, yeah, I I would I, I could see great things for him. I I I think it's a great bet that that David Norman's going to be like very prolific in the CPL. Yeah. I still think I honestly I know they probably don't want to, uh, but I think he would be excellent as a center back. I don't know if he, he obviously doesn't want he wants he, to play. He the doesn't midfield. like it, but yeah, yeah. But he's he's got the capability because he's got the capability of being that new age center back that yeah. can handle the ball, uh, be play physical, well yeah. be good in the air and stuff like that. So I, I think he would be really good. And he's left footed, right? So that's that's mm-hmm. very helpful. Yeah, he I, could be. Yeah, he could be Cavalry's like David Alaba. I think he's really going to have a good season. I really hope he does. I hope he can stay fit and healthy because mm-hmm. he, he's been played by that's, injuries. That's the one thing that's holding him back right now, the injuries. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I'll be honest, I am worried about that. I know we've talked on the show before that I always have folks' injuries worse than they are, but yeah. I, 
one of the guys that we spoke to on our Glory Days of Gold podcast this week was a, a guy that had to retire at 28 and he'd been signed by a premier team and he got injured at training and he, he'd just been plagued by injuries and his dad was a, and he's five legend as well but it's like he had to hang the boots up at 28 because his body just was getting injured <laughs> every single season he had an injury yeah, you had you. I remember you having Sam at Kubi retired. At the, I was worried to, for Sam for, for a hamstring injury. You had him retiring on a hamstring injury. Well, it but just he, kept going. Yeah, no, he's doing well now. Yeah, he is Crazy. doing well. I mean, hopefully David can turn around, and he's had operations and stuff. So fingers crossed for him. But when it, when I spoke to to Paul McQuaid on that other show this week, it just got me thinking of David. So fingers crossed for him. But one man that has hung up the boots, a guy we've had on the show several times. Another surprise to me, because I still thought he had stuff left in his tank. Yeah. Marcel Dion has called it a day. 34 years old. He was a guy that's had injuries a little bit over the last couple of years as well. Just that first season at Pacific, getting that yeah. injury that ruled him out. It came back so quick from an ACL at his age as well. He was so up for it. Spoke to him at the end of that first season. Spoke to him last year as well. I'm I'm disappointed that he's gone. I mean, Canada's lost two stalwarts internationally that uh, this off season: David Edgar, Marcel De Jong. But what a great servant to the Canadian game Marcel has been. Yeah, g- gonna miss him uh, in the game. I don't know if he's doing st- gonna be doing stuff in the game, but he's got some yeah, I'm stuff. I'm curious like- what he's doing because he was involved with the union, so I'm wondering if he's maybe gonna what? be taking a more leading role in the union or something. Yes, it could be that, but it, I'm guessing he would be doing something in the game because when it was when I messaged him after the announcement came out, and he just said, "Yeah, like I'm really looking forward to what's next." So hmm. he didn't say what that was, but I know um, he's been a bit cagey about that. So maybe he's getting involved with a, a new team or something. Well, well he did say no he did say oh I, I i thought i read somewhere that he did say he's planning on living on the island right like he's planning on staying oh i didn't hear that but interesting ah well i guess we'll find out but all the best to marcel it's been a pleasure chatting to him and, and watching him play his time in in vancouver and victoria it was just great getting to know him and wish him all the best so just got a couple more things to talk about to round off this week's show. And we're turning our attention back to the international level and it's still affecting Canada. Now, we've touched on it last week. We touched on it again earlier in this show. FIFA are not mandating that clubs have to release players during the international windows as of now. Now, we don't know how long this will continue for, but as of now, clubs don't have to let their players go. A lot of it is due to quarantine of having to come back into the country and then not being available for a couple of weeks for their teams. There's a lot of concern over the, the Brazilian uh, variant in particular. that That's forced Conmebol to cancel the World Cup qualifiers that were scheduled for March because teams in Europe were simply not going to release their players for it. So, so many squads were going to be under strength. Now, it's going to affect Canada for the two games that they've got coming up in March against Bermuda and and Cayman Islands. Bermuda's game is getting played in Florida. That's their home game. Cayman Islands is still TBA. Could end up being played in the US still. Now, the top leagues in Europe are the ones that's been driving this because 
whether they're just using the quarantine thing or not, I don't know. But it does feel that they don't want to release their players. There's been talk that they feel their players are playing too much just now anyway. Should CONCACAF follow CONMEBOL's example and cancel these qualifiers? It's late in the day to do it, I know. Canada should still be strong enough with an all-domestic roster. And it's different levels of quality, I guess, you're talking about in these qualifiers compared to the likes of Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, not having their top guys. But should CONCACAF look to be having these qualifiers or what? Well, I think they should do it. I personally, I don't have a problem with doing it, but they can't have people traveling all over the place. They need to have a central area, like a hub or whatever, like the, whatever they called them last year. I think they feel like there's a lot of the games will be played in the US, but a lot of countries are still going to be able to host games. Yeah, that's the issue right there. That if you have where people have to travel to country to country to country, that's the biggest issue in this. Um, If I'm uh, comparable, I'm basically doing it all in the summer. Once the European seasons are over, um, just do like a a four-week tournament or something like that and just crown your qualifiers at that point. That's going to be exciting to watch as well. In one country too. Don't even do it. Do it like the uh, the MLS Cup is back or yeah. MLS back is back tournament. Just do it like that and just have everybody in one area. Do your qualifications and then get on with it. I mean, it's like a mini Copa America, but just with yeah. every single team in, in, involved and fighting for World Cup qualification. I'll be honest, like I I watch South American qualifiers on and off, depending who's playing, what's at stake. You put all that in a in a one off tournament. Oh, I'd love it. I know it's just Copa America, but... How how many teams go from uh, country to country, like, uh, from... Like, to qualify for it? How many South American teams go? I think they've got four four or five guaranteed and then a half spot that's in the playoff. So this is what you do, if Conobol's listening right now. You split the teams in... There's 10 countries, I believe, in South America, and if I'm not mistaken... I believe there's 10 teams, right? Part of the qualification process. I thought thought it was more. I thought, but yeah. Oh, whatever. But you split them in half. Top two teams, you, you play a group stage. Top two teams make it from each group. Fifth and six, the two third place teams play in a well, one game playoff. And then that, whoever finishes, doesn't win the game, is goes for that half spot. That's the way to do it. Conorball, get it done. Yeah, That'd right. It's 10 teams. I yeah. don't know why so, I thought it had gone up to 12 for some reason. Probably because, because they need, keep inviting all these crappy teams to the Copa America. Exactly, because they need 12 teams for the, the Copa. That, that tournament. So, yeah, that's what I would do if I'm then. I, I basically just do it a quick tournament, uh, get your five, four teams automatically qualified, then do a playoff to, for the fifth team, and then that sixth team goes to and qualify somewhere else. Yeah, that'd be And that'd be exciting, too. Oh, it'd, it'd be, be exciting. exciting. Yeah, I'd especially, love to watch that. Especially that, that game where you're playing the two third-place teams and get that automatic qualifying. That's going to be a, an intense game. That's almost like your final without being in a final. You'd have a summer where you'd have the Euros, that tournament, and then the Olympics, hopefully, if everything went ahead. That's a, that's a feast of football in the summer for you. Yeah. Mike, Steve, is the is Qatar still supposed to be in December? The, the yeah, World I yeah. think so. Which, which is actually, as shitty as it was when it was announced they were doing that, this has actually worked out great because yeah. it's given them that little bit of extra wiggle room to get these qualifiers in now. Anyway, let's wrap this up for now. Thank you for joining us as always. Thank you for listening as always. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at Speed. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zachary AM. And if you uh, message me there, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you in April. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Give us a follow on Instagram at AFTN Soccer. Like and subscribe and turn on notifications to our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. There will be videos going up on that this month, so you don't want to miss that. But until next time, thanks for listening. Take care, dos vidanya, and mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.